0: The number one common misconception when it comes to trademarks is that people think you have to trademark your logo and you know, everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's as simple as doing what's called a word mark, trademarking that use of words. Right. So, for example, for my law firm, I own Black Crown as it relates to you know, real estate and law and some other things. Okay. Right? We, uh, we're in the final stages of the higher standard as it relates to podcasting, for example. Right that's just a word mark we can change the logo whatever we want but anybody who uses the higher standard in podcasting yeah is stepping on our toes yeah because we have that class now there are several different classes for different things like manufacturing certain types of products goods bags and they can become very specific
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, and it, it can become quite costly but the trick is you can only really trademark something if you're currently and actively using it in the quote stream of commerce Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. And it is once again the higher, higher standard. (laughs) Why you got to giggle every single time I do an intro, bro? It's awkward for both of us. (laughs) Uh, it was a completely different mood right before this. No, it's the higher, higher standard. It's the, the higher, higher, higher what's the, what's the, standard? Yeah, it's the higher standards, It's not the higher, higher standard. I'm Chris Neavy. That over there is Sa'id Omar. Nobody
2: likes him. Hello, everybody. If you like this, please go ahead and subscribe to the show and leave us an honest five-star review, whether that's on Spotify or Apple. Please, we're waiting.
0: We're pausing for emphasis. Yes, exactly. We know, we know a lot of you like to skip the intro. Yeah. So this is our opportunity to say, hey, we know that you do that. Now leave a review. And we would really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Now that we peer pressured you enough. I was uh, scrolling the interwebs looking for my usual content for the show, mm-hmm. and uh, I got to tell you, it was kind of negative right, <laughs> right about now. Negative and not a whole lot. Well, we're, we're kind of in one of those weird phases, and this this happens from time to time in, in the economics, you know, sphere. There's a little bit out there in the zeitgeist that comes out, but there's always these brief pauses, especially around the holidays. Right now, we just had a lot of news come out. A lot of things happened with the last Fed interest rate increase. And now we're walking into a time where the economy is adjusting. We've got the midterms coming up uh, tomorrow, actually,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Tuesday. And there's a lot that's really focused more on politics right now, right now instead of finance. Right. So what I was thinking when I was looking at all the data that was out there, there was just God, so many negative headlines, man. It was you know, mortgage rates are falling. Or, I'm sorry, mortgage, home prices are falling. Mortgage demand is is falling. Mortgage rates are are, are skyrocketing. Are we going to end here? Are we going to end there? And everything had like this doom and gloom, like cachet, clickbait title. I just I had to put the phone down and say, you know what? I'm not I'm not not going to do this right now. I not can't do it. it. Yep. So this week, what we wanted to do is bring you the audience. A more positive educational spin, which means I can't be as much of a ass as I normally like to be. Mm-hmm. And Saeed's going to have to take a little bit of charge and direct me and my ADD into a more focused conversation. Right. Before we get into
2: that, do you want to go over any of the stuff that's upcoming this week or just go over the jobs report that came out on Friday last week?
0: We can do either one, Chief. Okay. It's your this, world.
2: We'll just, just go with real quick just so that we can make sure that we talked about it on the show. So, on Friday last week, the non-farm payrolls grew by 261,000, which was better than the estimate. Unemployment also ticked up a little bit to 3.7%. Not a whole lot, nothing to be bragging about. Um, But the areas that we saw the biggest job gains were in the healthcare sphere. They uh, gained Mm 71,000 jobs. Uh, Professional businesses, 39,000 jobs. This one shocked me. Leisure and hospitality grew by 35,000 jobs.
0: That one didn't shock me a whole lot because- so I've seen some interesting things. I've been I'm really diving down into kind of the detail of things like Airbnb and hospitality. Yeah. And the, What really tipped me off was when we saw the inflation numbers come out, uh, the last time they came out, 42.5% or a little, a little over 42%, I think mm-hmm. it was, of uh, airfare had gone up and an increase in, right. in cost, right? right? So it had cost you almost double what it originally cost you before to get like a plane ticket someplace. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, how weird is that, that, that it's that much of an increase in, in travel costs? And surely it's going to layer into hotels and everything else. Mm-hmm. But yet, whenever I fly, and I fly more than most do, mm-hmm. it's been a jam-packed plane. right? The airports have been jam-packed. It's not like I'm going there going like, oh, like it's pal- a palpable different. No, man, it's been pretty crowded.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I thought to myself, okay, if that's the case, let's see how some of these hospitality-based businesses report. And Airbnb just reported. And we talked a little bit on the last show, but I've di- I've dived down into it since then. And I wasn't really planning on talking to the show about it. but. I really do think there's a problem on the horizon for for Airbnb and for the hospitality space. I Mm -hmm. think people are spending right now, but just like the news that came out this week that's all negative, I think people are starting to really start to appreciate all this has been rhetoric. It's been out there, but I don't think it's been palpably affecting a lot of people on a mass scale in a way that we're talking about that scares people enough to have them really pull back. Right. And then I saw the savings. You remember six months ago when Brian Moynihan was talking about savings and talking about the money?
2: Yeah. People had still had all their stimmy savings.
0: Yeah. So there was a chart that came out that was really, really good. And I'm going to, I'm going to provide a link to it for everybody in the show notes, but essentially it compared the U.S. personal savings rate being at what it was before the pandemic and post pandemic, but it compared that to credit card loan balances. Oh my gosh. So into the pandemic, right? So call it Q4 of 2020. Mm Mm-hmm. You have the U.S. personal savings rate at what appeared at a relative high, around 33.8%, with credit card spending significantly lower than that,
1: mm-hmm. which is
0: great. People are spend, you know, saving more than they're they're spending as far as rates go, right? right? And again, this is not their actual savings versus their actual credit card balances. This is the rate of their spending,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? I'm sorry, rate of their savings compared to their actual credit card balances and loans. Exactly. So currently, however, that situation has reversed and reversed in a big way. Credit card credit card loans or their balances and credit cards have reached an all-time high at $926.2 billion. Yeah. And the savings right now from 33.8% in Q4 of 2020 is down to 3.1%. Wow. It completely inversed. Yep. Now, mind you, somewhere in the middle when this inversion started to happen,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Brian Moynihan, the Bank yeah, of that's America- Yeah, he's looking at the, the previous data points. Yeah, Bank of America CEO was like, the consumer's in great shape. And then Jamie Dimon came out and was like- uh, no, they're not. Yeah. Well, yeah, clearly they're not. And clearly the, the mounting debt is becoming a problem yet. You don't see the reporting on wall street for a lot of the hospitality, like Airbnb, just, right. you know, even though they revised their fourth quarter, their third quarter numbers were really strong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I will say what I, I can totally imagine happening. I, can, I totally foresee this happening in this space is that like the luxury Airbnb market right. takes a hit. These these long term stays, we try to avoid like the local city county ordinances for Airbnb that that are out there. Yeah. Those are gonna take a hit. I don't think people are gonna be willing to spend to that degree. I think with the lower end product, the stuff that's you know, a couple nights here and there, you know, in a vacation resort town, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that'll still make money. But I think you're gonna start to see a lot less days booked for not only hotels, but also for Airbnbs. Right. So I think I think we're hitting that kind of renaissance period for Airbnb, which has had an upward trajectory just like tech did for a long period of time. Right. Granted, Airbnb is a relatively new sector compared to the, quote, tech sector, but Meta is rumored to have massive layoffs this week. I heard. I saw that. So you, you start to put all these pieces together, and, and we always talk about lagging indicators, but this is what we mean. This is how much they actually lag.
2: Right. And we, and we were talking about, too, I think on the previous episode that, I mean, how much longer until... Companies stop their layoffs, right? Because you're going into the holiday season right before mm-hmm. the end of the year. I know you have your end of the year earnings reports. That you, they want to get out there. So, I mean, these probably another week or two before they completely stop until they start up again in 2023, right?
0: Yeah, it's going to be – we're going to get into Thanksgiving, and then I think you're going to see a significant drop-off in layoffs, hopefully. I mean, some companies might even do it before – some companies might look at their balance sheet and their income statement and go, okay, you know, Q, Q1 2023 is going to be rough. Mm-hmm. We haven't done anything or we didn't rice as a ship enough. You might see more into the holiday season. It, it's not as common, but certainly leading into uh, Thanksgiving, you're going to see some more.
2: Yeah. Okay. So then uh, it's rounded out. We manufacturing also added 32,000 jobs and the government added 28,000.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, 28,000 of all IRS enforcement agents, <laughs> yeah, thanks, to, yeah, thanks yeah. to that inflation Coming reduction. to collect, yeah.
2: tax that ass. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so, things to look forward to this week coming ahead. I mean, this episode will drop on Friday, so uh, these things will already be out. But um, we don't know yet about on Wednesday, November 9th, update a report on the mortgage applications and wholesale trade sales and wholesale inventories report.
0: So let's pause there. We already
2: know mortgage applications. Mortgage mortgage applications
0: is going down, and we've seen the the rate of interest rate increases start to pick up as far as speed goes, Mm -hmm. especially after the last Fed interest rate increase, we saw a pretty significant jump. So this most recent one, I expect to see a pretty significant jump, uh, particularly as we get to the year end. But when the CPI number comes out, which is one of the other numbers you're going to reference, right?
2: CPI comes out on Thursday, November 10th. So uh, when this episode drops, it'll be yesterday. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, I think that number will be very impactful because as much as people are starting to think and hope that CPI is going to come down significantly, we know mm -hmm. that it's not. Right. And because of that, I I think you're going to start to see some of that treasury movement again.
2: Yeah. So it's estimated to be at 7.9%. And the core CPI that strips out food and energy is estimated to be at 6.5%. So we'll see where that actually shakes
0: out at. So if it's at 6.5%, and now the Fed funds target rate is, call it 5%, Mm -hmm. again, going back to that kind of rumored speculation of where the the Fed is looking at these two numbers, you can expect to see that if that number is still sticky north of 6%, Mm -hmm. there is a very strong likelihood that you'll see the Fed increase their borrowing rate to a target in excess of where core inflation
2: right it is yeah. right and then i think that's when you'll start to see bloomberg adjust maybe their
0: probability index yeah their
2: probability index cuz right now they we talked about it it's at 50 basis points that the, could that could change
0: for 12.4 4. right there's a spider right in front of you just chilling no,
2: no it's just some
0: is that a bug was i
2: don't know what it is that's, that's super sexy yeah
0: in any event uh well so he's not batting bugs my way yeah <laughs> And then, lastly, rounded out on Friday, the day
2: this episode drops, uh, consumer sentiment report comes out. And hopefully, we see some change. Hopefully, people are
0: starting. I think there will be some change in consumer sentiment. Right? I hope so. Right? How? How do you? Even even my consumer sentiment was like, "Fuck, this is depressing." Like, yeah, I, I was. Yeah. It was so palpable when I went to the news that I, I. Normally, I post stuff on social media, and I'm pretty active, and, and I'm I'm interested in it because it's what we do. You know, this is about mm-hmm. the show and everything else, but. I can imagine if, even if you're not interested in it, it was so overwhelmingly negative. It was like negative comment, negative comment, negative comment, clickbait title, negative, negative. It it got to the point where I was just like, look, man, like I I don't, I want to provide some value to somebody. Right. Let's do something positive with the show this week that that takes a brief pause from all these headlines, which are scary. And let's talk about how we can help people. Yeah. And your idea
2: was? My idea was let's give the listeners some feedback on what you think are some things that they should be looking at and thinking about on how to start a business.
0: We, what we think.
2: What oh, we think, okay. The yeah. royal we. Yeah, the royal we. And <laughs> I think that there's a lot of value that
0: people can get from it because um, you've actually started a few. I have started a lot of businesses going back to when I was a kid, trying to hustle on eBay. And I would say the overwhelming majority of them have failed. Right,
2: but there's lessons to be learned from each of those.
0: Yeah, I think I think lessons learned I think that the most painful lessons, frankly, have not been from the ones that failed. It's from, been from the ones that just never really went anywhere at all. Not mm-hmm. per se failing, but never really starting. Mm-hmm. Those are the businesses that suck. I'd rather start something, learn and fail than I would start something and just never get it off the ground. And I had right. a couple of those too.
2: Right. So actually, let's, I guess let's start there. What do you think looking back at some of those or based on some conversations you've had with other people, um, what are some of the reasons why you think? People get in their own way from actually starting a business and why they should just push through those.
0: Nine times out of 10, man, it's analysis by par- or paralysis by analysis. Yeah. People get so caught in trying to figure out the best way to move that they don't move. Yeah. And this comes down to like buying real estate or starting a business. But a lot of times people will spend so much time thinking about an idea that they like that they'll talk themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. It's not even like paralysis as much as it's just complete denial. I can't tell you how many times people will talk to me about a business idea and I'm like, that's amazing. You should do it. And they think that I'm being like overwhelming positive, like po- overwhelmingly positive, And I'm like just spitting rainbows and sunshine up their ass, but I'm not. Right. I think so many good ideas go completely by the wayside because people don't want to commit to them and do them because they tell themselves in their head, I can't do it because of X or I shouldn't do it because of Y. And it's like, look, every business in the world has that same positioning. Mm-hmm. I'll use a bank. Obviously, we're in the banking sector. Right. There's nothing that a bank does that's really unique anymore. Yeah, exactly. There's no unique service. There's nothing proprietary. There's nothing that's truly- The only
2: only unique aspect of it all could be the level of service you provide to the client, the relationship. That's it. That's all you're really doing is you're
0: providing different levels of service. Your value proposition to the market is if somebody wants to bank with you because they like what you're offering, and generally speaking- that's service. Right. So if, if somebody went in like, oh, somebody, you know, I, I want to start a bank, but I can't do it because, you know, it's been done before. Or, you know, I need a unique idea. You don't really do. Yeah. You don't really, you don't really need this. What you really need is to understand that you're going to drive this thing home. Mm-hmm. What separates you from
2: everyone else? What's the value, like you said, what's the value proposition that you're going to be providing? But
0: it doesn't always need to be as clear as people want it to be. People want to walk into something and say like, hey, look, like everybody needs X or everybody needs Y. It doesn't need to be everybody. Exactly. That, that's the other thing is that's you can capture a certain percentage of the population. Another great example is is like look you look at like like Airbnb. We talked oh. about that earlier, right? Right. Not everybody's going to use Airbnb, right? Not everybody's going to dive into it. Now, clearly, when they went into it, they were looking to be an economic like solution to the hotel circumstances, right? I want right. to have a cheaper set of circumstances, maybe some more privacy, but now they've branched out into more luxury, so you get higher end people and stuff like that. So now you're you're kind of monetizing a lot of what's happening out there in the economy, but right? When this started, it wasn't, that wasn't the idea. When Amazon started, they were
2: a bookstore. Right. I know. Exactly. And to your point on, it doesn't need to be for everybody. Uh, my father-in-law actually owns a men's b- boutique store, right? Yeah, sells, yeah. sells men's suits. It actually used to own a store on Rodeo Drive, right? And I remember going back to a store back when he had the store on Rodeo Drive and seeing some of the price tags on these suits. I'd be like, who in the world is buying a suit for ten, fifteen thousand $15,000, you know? But he doesn't need to sell them to everybody. No, he doesn't. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just you just need a select few, and you have recurring clients, and th- that's how it worked out for him.
0: And those are all different models, but oh, I'll tell you what drives most people in business. It, it, I mean, there's a certain clicheness in saying that you really need to be passionate about what you're doing, but it's true. Mm-hmm. And I don't care if you're like totally in love with what you're doing as much as as you may really like the end result. Right. Like you may you may like having money, and the money is your passion. Whatever it is that drives you and keeps you passionate about working, that that desire to want to keep doing it has to be there on some level. Otherwise, you're not going to grind through those early stages. Yeah, then that was the point that I was just going to touch the on. That's the second thing that I think most people make the mistake of. If they don't go into it thinking way too much about it, they go into it with a lack of passion and mm-hmm. they just fall to the wayside. And I've done that on the businesses that I've set up that failed. That was my Achilles heel. Was I, I truly wasn't passionate enough about it when I got into it. Right. And I never really got it going because I was like, eh.
1: Meh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, you're eventually going to come through, come to a crossroad. You're going to find some speed
0: bumps and you're going to find a way to talk yourself out of it. It's not even that. It's just you just don't want to do it at some point. You're just like, fuck, I don't do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't do the grind. It's, yeah, not, it's not worth, worth it. it. Yeah. It's yeah. not worth it. Okay. and then,
2: So let me ask you, what some of those businesses that you started and let's just call, let's say the higher standard, right? How much into the branding do you think about upfront early? Do you get caught up on
0: it? Do you, are you thinking way far in the head? Um, it depends on what it So a long, long time ago, I created um, fashion-based websites, right? Okay. Uh, and they were all about kind of like the hype beast culture and that kind of stuff. And I wound up selling it to somebody who was in the space at the time. That was all about branding upfront, and the content was kind of secondary because I was always looking at the content anyway when I got into it. So it was really branding what I wanted people to come see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Branding was a huge focus of getting started. Right. But in other businesses like the law firm, branding isn't really that important to what I'm doing. Right. It's the service that I'm providing people and the branding just kind of wraps around it. Right. So you really have to kind of take that in, in, in line with the the concept of what you're doing. Right. Like you have to understand if if you're going to be in a service based business mm-hmm. and you're going to be out there doing lawn care, mm-hmm. your branding is not as important as the, the service. Right. If you're going to be doing graphic and web design. Okay. Well, your branding is going to be pretty critical to what you do. Right. Exactly.
2: And then especially if you're, you're planning ahead and you're thinking about the advertising and marketing aspect of mm-hmm. it all. Right. And if that is something that you're thinking about, some things that you want to do that I looked into is you obviously want to Google the names and you want to go to the US patent and trademark office website.
0: Right. You're talking about starting your company name. Yeah. So I've got some different, different kind of trajectory in that. So I've always tried to find unique names that have dot com available websites, but yes. a lot of those are, are really hard to find now. Uh-huh. Um, my, my original like fashion-based website was bespokeordie.com, right? Oh, okay. Like bespoke, like the bespoke, custom right, clothing right, right, right. Um, But those are getting really, really hard to find. So what I tell me most people is today, if you really want like a .com, you're going to have to come up with some kind of creative name and make it mean something. Like Google didn't mean anything, right? right. Venmo didn't mean, any, mean anything. Right. These are fabricated names that also had dot .coms available. right? What I always tell people, whatever your name is that you settle on for a website, you need to have brand symmetry across everything that you're doing. And social media is a huge part of it. Even if you don't see yourself using social media, you really should look to make sure that you can get the Instagram handle or the TikTok handle and as many as you can to see that you have a seamless brand strategy. Right. Because you don't want to go into something with the cost of having to buy something if you can avoid it. Right. You don't want to have to buy, um, I own like legalities on TikTok. Right. right, At legalities. I might use it for something that might not, but that's like exactly, you don't want to have to buy that from somebody like me who's just sitting on it. So you want to go out there. So that's why a lot of these made up names became very popular. People were looking for that. And then, and then they wind, when you wind up getting on the trademark route or you start thinking about, you know, kind of your intellectual property. Right. That's one less hurdle because it's literally a made up name that you created. So now you are just going to trademark, a wordmark for a certain area and you're good to go. Right. Okay. And then there's different classes within the trademark, right? Uh, trademarking is a, it's kind of, a, I've learned about this late in my career because I would, I would say it wasn't really necessary for me. And I think a lot of people overthink the trademark thing. Okay. They get into something they want to protect it. The number one common misconception when it comes to trademarks is that people think you have to trademark your logo and you know, everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's as simple as doing what's called a word mark, trademarking that use of words. Right. So, for example, for my law firm, I own Black Crown as it relates to you know real estate and law and some other things. Okay. Right. We uh, we're in the final stages of the higher standard as it relates to podcasting, for example. Right. That's just a word mark. We can change the logo, whatever we want. But anybody who uses the higher standard in podcasting is stepping on our toes because we have that class. Now, there are several different classes for different things like manufacturing, certain types of products, goods, bags, and they can become very specific Mm -hmm. Uh, and it it can become quite costly. But the trick is you can only really trademark something if you're currently and actively using it in the quote stream of commerce.
2: So it's not like how people used to just buy up the web domain names.
0: Not at all like that. And that's, it's a very popular misconception. Now you can kind of reserve a future use. I generally don't recommend that for most people, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: unless you really are concerned about somebody getting into your space, then a future use is probably not for 99.9% of listening to the show. Right. What you want to do is start working, get into business, get up, start making money. And at that point in time, if you really feel like there's some longevity in what you're doing, spend the time to get a trademark. Now here's a big ass asterisk. Big ass. All right. The last trademark I I filed took 14 months to go from application all the way to a registered trademark.
2: Goddamn. And do you think that's because of just COVID going on and all that or what?
0: COVID had a huge impact on the USPTO, the US Patent Trademark Office. They scaled down a little bit of employees. They all worked from home, which backed them up. They had a massive influx of people who were trying to be entrepreneurs. There was a little bit of hustle culture that kind of got in the way during the pandemic where everyone was trying to work from home and start these side hustles. Right. And you can go to a lot of websites now and for only, you know, three, 400 bucks, depending on which, if you have any asset classes you get, if it's just one, you can probably do for 500 bucks.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You can file a, a trademark application on your own. Now, I always recommend going to see a trademark attorney if you're going to do it. And they're generally not terribly more expensive, maybe a thousand bucks more expensive, but you have right. somebody who's going to watch and shepherd your application through. Right. There's a lot of value in that one thing for you to worry about. Plus, they're going to help you get in the right classes and they're going to help you get yours situated. There's a lot of nuance when it comes to filing these, these applications. Right. But you really can do it on your own if you really wanted to run it down. I just generally don't recommend it for most people. Okay. Once you file it, it goes in, It's it goes into their system. That can take quite a long time just to get to a, assigned to an examining attorney, mm-hmm. which is going to make sure it doesn't clash with anybody else's existing uses. Right. So, for example, with a higher standard, there's somebody out there who has a fitness-based brand, lifestyle brand, Right. as it relates to the higher standard. And she sells, I think, um, I'm not entirely sure. I think it's like meal plans or like coaching or something
1: like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah.
0: And when we originally filed for it, one of the things I wanted an addition for us to have, besides just podcasting, video, and all stuff, I also wanted to quote lifestyle to be included in it. Yeah. Because we, I, I, I put it as uh, finance, education, financial literacy, and one of the things I added was and lifestyle. Right. Well, and lifestyle by the examining attorney was found to conflict with her existing use of the higher standard as it relates to fitness. Right. So we had to cut that off. And that's exactly what an examining attorney does. Mm -hmm. Once it gets past him, it goes for publication, takes several more months. The publication period allows for anybody who wants to oppose it if it happens to clash with theirs. So, for example, if she who had the higher standard for that particular usage wanted to say, hey, this infringes on my usage of it. Right. She could file a a complaint against that or quote, uh, opposition. Yeah. It's very rare, unless you're going up against someone like Coca-Cola or Crown Royal or somebody who's got an existing, you know, pretty significant trademark. Most yeah. independent independent mom and pop users aren't going to mm-hmm. spend the time and the money to do
1: that. Yeah,
0: but really, it comes down to one simple concept: you can get a trademark as long as someone's not going to confuse your brand with somebody else in the space. Right. So you mentioned this could cost you
2: a couple hundred dollars and maybe even a thousand dollars. So what are so like as far as Costco, how do you recommend for people? To research costs associated with whatever businesses, I know this varies, right? But how can you even begin that process of researching what it might cost you to look at like-minded other companies, but maybe they're not willing to give out that type of information? (laughs)
0: So for like import businesses, export business manufacturers, you can actually check out port costs mm-hmm. online. You can literally Google and figure out how much people are paying at, at ports for certain certain type of products. You can go to Alibaba, for example, and you can also figure that out. You can reverse engineer things, how much things cost. Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty easy to do. And if you haven't, there's tons of videos on YouTube. I'm not going to waste anybody's time telling them how to do that. But for just starting your business for like the essential startup costs, mm mm-hmm you have to really identify if your business is going to be selling goods, goods or services. Right. If it's going to be selling goods, you have to figure out what your cost is, what you're yeah. going to bring to market, and, and there's storage fees where you're going to put it, stuff like that. It can become right. a lot more complex. If it's a service-based business, it's a whole hell of a lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's just time, value, of money. Exactly.
2: and exa- What you consider your time to be worth, right? Mm-hmm. And what value proposition uh, you bring to the table. So with that, you look
0: very unprepared for this, whatever this question, no, question is. You look, like no, you're deep in your thoughts right now. No, here. no,
2: no, no, not at all. But then, so then, I, I will, at some point, you, you want to consider whether this is uh, going to be a sole proprietorship, an LLC, a corporation, right? But that's not one of the things you should get hung up on, right? It's
0: not one of the things you should get hung up on. Most people who start a business don't actually have an entity structure in mind. They do it as a sole proprietorship, and it's just on their tax returns on their Schedule C. Right. Right, so- your 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 CPA your accountant even if you go to like turbotax.com you just put your 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 sole proprietor business there and mm-hmm. it goes right through your tax returns now you don't get all the tax benefits of a corporation of course mm-hmm. but it's it's an easy way to put that solely in your tax returns the problem for most people is not really the tax basis it's the liability somebody could sue you and it's you know Said Omar doing business as and you can go down right. it so let's cover that too if you want to be known as Said Omar's Cookies or Omar's Cookies or some other fictitious name that you're making up, it's called a fictitious business name or a quote DBA. Right. You can go down to your local county clerk quarters office and file that in each county that you plan on doing that. So mm-hmm. if you're in Orange County in Southern California, you file in Orange County, but you also want to sell your product in Los Angeles to so do business there. You have to file in Los Angeles county clerk quarter mm-hmm. office. And you can do that for a corporation doing business as, or you can do that for you individually. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have sole proprietorships that don't have a corporation. They do that for themselves, and it's on their tax return as Omar's Cookies, and it's on the Schedule C uh, as that. Right. But if they sue Omar's Cookies, the DBA, the fictitious business name, mm-hmm. they, they're su- really suing you personally. Right. So and there's no insulation you, from, from liability So you're,
2: it, everything you own from even like your
0: house, right? If they get a judgment against you, and let's say you give somebody food poisoning, and they get a $100,000 judgment against you. I don't like the way you're pointing at me. I'm pointing at it's... you because you sell shitty cookies. Okay. <laughs> the irony here for everybody's listening is site's wife makes the most amazing cookies of all time, although they are freaking huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 I, I have nightmares about how big they are.
2: Right. Just inspired by a cookie store in New York. I think it's called Levain Bakery. It's my wife's dream to own a bakery one day. It's what she wants to do, but. I don't
0: think it's viable. Wow. Talking yourself out of your own business on the show, talking about businesses. That's yeah. terrible. Yeah, man. The, I don't know how many people out there trying to buy cookies. Look at crumble cookies, man. Those things are just skyrocketing. You see, yeah. look, you just literally talk yourselves yeah, yeah, out yeah, of doing yeah, business. We, yeah, just, yeah. we just covered this.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just covered it. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I mean, there's always an economically viable way. You just got to figure out if, if there's something you really want to chase down. Mm-hmm. Passion. Look at that. We covered both topics. There you go. So then, I guess, so
2: then, since you touched on the sole proprietorship and you know the drawbacks for that. I guess to the other, there's limited partnerships or general partnerships or C corps, there's LLCs, which one out of all of them do you think, you know,
0: insulates you the most? They all actually don't have any better degree of insulation other than the general partnerships and limited partnerships. Those can sometimes, depending on whether your partnership is structured, everybody can be liable for the aggregate. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. I generally don't recommend partnerships for most people um, unless you have a specific need or you have a tax structure just put those by the wayside. Mm-hmm. If you wanted a business with somebody, it should really be for most people listening in the form of three different types of entities. Mm-hmm. Uh, a California, or I'll use California as an example, a C Corp, an S Corp, or a limited liability company. Right. There are several other types. So for example, if you're gonna have a law firm, it's not uncommon to have something called a professional corporation. Basically, that means that only attorneys can buy into it and mm-hmm. they can only own it. So you can't have somebody who's a non-attorney owner in the state of California, for example. Right. Uh, but for most people, uh, an S Corp or C Corp, and the reason why I differentiate the two an S Corp goes through your tax returns and it's run through there. A C Corp has its own independent return. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: as a general rule, C Corps are generally bigger companies and S Corps are generally smaller companies. They both provide you the same level of insulation, they both have effectively the same tax benefits, mm-hmm. although. There's some slight differences into long-term retained earnings for C corporations. Not a big deal for anybody who's listening to the show, right? And there's also limitations on shareholder number for S corporations,
2: right? Definitely something you should be talking with your accountant about, but
0: yeah, accountant and attorney. So, I mean, I, so people always go to one or the other, and I always they always mess this up. So an attorney will think about your liability, an accountant will think about your financial positioning and your tax basis. right? They don't always think about the other side, and that can be very troublesome. So you have to take it upon yourself understand both sides of those equations because one may not understand the other. Right. So
2: I know like for the C Corp, whatever income it generates, you get taxed 20% and then you'll also be taxing yourself again on any dividends or distributions you make to yourself, right?
0: Yeah. And what I'll tell most people is is rather than me getting into this with them is consult your CPA for whatever business you're in. And the mm-hmm. reason why I say that is every business has a different tax best tax structure for it right uh llcs are great for passive income s corporations and c corporations are great for active income if you're a smaller corporation and it's just you you can run an s corporation and there are exceptions to the smaller corporation i know a i think essentially a billion dollar company i don't want to say the name on on the show but it's got one owner wow and it's an s corporation runs right through his personal return and it it is a massive well-known company you wouldn't know that as a consumer right but it, it literally is, just, is an S corporation that's just gotten huge. Now, he can do that because of his his tax benefits and his nature, but he's only got one shareholder. Mm-hmm. So he kind of meets the thresholds and the criteria to still be that. But it, for most corporations across the country, C Corp. Right.
2: I think another thing that's, uh should be noted here is you also want to make sure that whatever business you are
0: operating or running, you check to see if you need any special licenses or permits in your state or locality, which can become interesting because in California, for example, if you have like a California broker's license and you want to sell real estate, it cannot be under an LLC;
2: mm. it has
0: to be under a corporation for the tax for the tax law. Right. And again, for like law firms, it has to be under a professional corporation or APC. Uh, you'll see different variants of it, or PC or APC. There's different acronyms but essentially a professional corporation so right you have to know whatever business that you're in if it's if you can operate that way if it needs a license
2: okay so to go a little bit deeper on that talk about insurance a little bit
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> get insurance because you're gonna screw up um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's gonna easy way to put it i would say that most people overthink insurance too because they're so worried about liability Mm-hmm. Look, if you start a corporation and the corporation really needs insurance, then by all means, get it. There's some there's some things you need insurance for, like if you're an attorney and you're practicing, you need your professional liability insurance. Which can be have, very expensive. Yeah. Essentially malpractice insurance is basically right. what it comes down
2: to. But most people can get away with probably some general liability coverage.
0: General liability coverage would be probably a good idea, it's advisable. Service-based businesses are required to have them. If you're in real estate, for example, a lot of people won't work with you, don't have some type of insurance coverage. But it all comes down to what how big your corporation is. If you have a lot of employees, Mm -hmm. this will vary by state on number, you're probably gonna need, you know, your employees covered. You probably need some workers comp. So workers comp, right.
2: And this is more more for the the type of person that's looking to now start scaling their business,
0: right? I mean Yeah. Most most people who have a smaller shop, you don't necessarily need insurance. It's a good idea, right? But you don't need it to operate. Mm -hmm. So People who get that far into the weeds when they're starting a business, I always like kind of scratch my head and go, like, Bro, you're so far ahead of yourself. Just 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 make something, sell something, you know, do something right. first. Start doing it at scale and make sure you don't screw up in the beginning, because if you do, you know, you're gonna have to bankrupt that corporation. Now, if it's you personally
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you're working with a DBA a fictitious business name, you don't have a corporation insulating you from the risk, right? Then I would get that insurance just just because. Right. Me personally, I'm just risk adverse. Yeah. But if you have a corporation in between, listen, you can always, as long as you don't pierce the corporate veil, meaning you don't use the corporation's proceeds for your own personal gain whenever you want. So if you're avoiding tax liability by paying all your personal expenses from your corporation, you've now pierced the corporate veil. Right. If you're writing yourself a check whenever you want, you've now pierced the corporate veil. So now, wait, wait, if you pay go, yourself,
2: Go a little bit deeper on what piercing the corporate veil. I know what it means. How but- deep? Yeah, go deep, real deep. <laughs> yeah, real deep. Pierce it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, in theory, the idea of a corporate veil is, is a reference to like the old metal v- veils in in kind of the times of knights in, in that period of time in, yeah. some in history, bo- right? Some
2: boring ass tax law, but it's yeah, some yeah.
0: boring ass tax law. But effectively, what they're trying to say is is that people can't pierce the protection that a corporation gives you
2: mm-hmm.
0: as long as you treat it like a corporation, right? But if you violate the strengths that make it a corporation, and that its independent nature—you're mm-hmm. letting somebody stab you with a sword through that veil, if you will. Right. Right. And so now, essentially, there's an opening. There's an opening for them to stab you, and they mm-hmm. will. And they'll, yeah, they'll kill you and take your money. <laughs> uh, but so, in fact, the idea is—is is if you have a corporation, you should pay yourself on a regular, systematic basis. Most people, that's. Twice a month on the 1st and the 15th or so, whatever two yeah, days you and want. That'll
2: be reported under the
0: salaries portion of the- W-2 bank. wages, right, right. Yeah. or your equivalent of W-2 wages. And then you could, of course, at the end of the year, take whatever additional bonus you want or whatever you need, but you need to have a consistent methodology for paying yourself. If you pay yourself whenever you want, the law looks at that as really just an extension of you personally and you don't get corporate protection. Right. So consistency in the way you pay yourself and treating the corporation truly like a corporation. That also means some other nuances that people don't think about. Once you start a corporation, you are, at least if it's just you anyway, or if it's an LLC, you are the sole member manager in an LLC. You are the the CEO, the president, and the CFO. Yeah, the, the sole shareholder, right? The sole, sole shareholder. You are a member of the board of directors right. for your corporation or your LLC. And if that's the case, you have an obligation to maintain the books. Yes. You have an obligation to, on an annual basis, have an annual meeting of the shareholders, even if that's just you, and formalize it. Mm-hmm. If you don't do these things that seem stupid, then guess what? Someone can pierce the corporate veil. Right. It generally doesn't happen a whole lot these days because the law generally likes to protect people who have corporations as long as they try to do so in good faith. Right. But if you mess around and find out, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs>
2: That's right. I find out exactly. Yeah. Now, I mean, certain industries like to do things a certain kind of way. Correct? Like what well, we've seen in the banking sphere with people owning their scheduled real estate to own every <laughs> look at your hair looks like something something about mary <laughs> <Is it? laughs> all right <laughs> anytime you
0: start talking to me in a sexy way my hair just goes yeah, up bro. yeah
2: like. I mean, so uh people uh in our sphere who their entire SREO, you'll see that each property is owned um under a different llc right whereas i know um people in the medical field uh, doctors who are you know working for themselves maybe running it all under a corporation So each industry tends to have, you know, their own way of doing things.
0: Yeah, but I also know some real estate property owners who have. So this is where there's, there's a. This is why you really should speak to a CPA before, or or at least figure out what the most common way is for your industry. There are so many different ways to do things, and it comes down to your kind of personal situation. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people come in saying like, "Everybody does this," and it's like, "Okay, well, is that the best situation for you?" And I'm like, "Have you talked to your CPA?" And they'll go. No, I don't want to do that because I'm just getting started. I don't want to spend the money. And I'm like, dude, a 200 or $500 meeting with a CPA to have this conversation is worth it. Yes. Because I know a lot of real estate people who have their property in trust. And a lot of real estate people who have their property in their individual name. Yeah. I know a lot of real estate people who have their, their property in LLC. that's not
2: advisable. Just, just because they do it. I, I still, that makes me feel like. A trust is just,
0: like, dude, a lot of my property is held in the trust. No, but it's in the individual name, right? Like, I know, I do. I know multi, multi-millionaires who still have an in individual name. Wow. And you've that's, underwritten that's, that's for a confidence. Bro, I, I know I have,
2: I have. But it's for me, um, I'm like you. I, I would consider myself risk adverse, and I would like to insulate myself. If I could, if I had a portfolio that large, I would, I would own each one under a separate LLC because it insulates you both ways, right? If somebody sues the LLC, they can't get to my personal. If someone sues me personally, they can't get to the LLC. And
0: once you get big enough, uh, like a lot of the conduit lenders and the insurance companies, life co's they they require you to have your properties which they that they're giving you in a deal in a single purpose single asset entity which is sometimes referred to an SPE and SAE single yeah. purpose entity and single asset entity. Right. Basically there's one asset this apartment complex in this LLC whose sole purpose is to own and operate this property. Yes. So that's very common and that, that's just their way of insulating themselves and in the worst case, I'm default or any kind of risk, they'll just go after the property, they'll just deal with that one LLC, they don't have to worry about your other financial worth. Right. They don't have to go after all, all those other complications because if you have like a, a a taco stand that's running with it, now the taco stand's a liability for the property. Yes. And vice versa. Mm-hmm. So they're just trying to insulate themselves from risk in that way. Right. So much of what we do in society is about insulating yourself from risk. Yeah. 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 That's why you sit four feet away from me at all times.
2: Yeah, exactly. Insulating
0: myself from whatever cooties <laughs> you bring in the studio, nah, bro. bro.
2: Cooties, that's you.
0: You're the one walking around with no socks. No socks, and my my, my hair on my toes is growing back. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> you heard it here first. It's, it's very, I know. I saw in the shower, and I'm like, "This is fucking karma." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Like the testosterone. So you get laser hair removal. I know
2: my testosterone's so high, the hair on my back came
0: back. Kid, no, stop. Okay, first of all, let's let's. It's it's proven scientifically that you're you. I don't want to talk about weight. You're making me do this. I know. <laughs> but but it's proven scientifically that as we age, your testosterone levels go down. No, no not me. So unless not. you were obese and now getting skinny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. There's no real reason for your testosterone to go back up. Yeah, yeah. Unless you're close proximity to me, which I am a stallion. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Oh, boy. <laughs> the, the, that could be you could okay. be getting a little bit of byproduct the, you hair, know. the hair on your feet
2: is coming back I see. yeah
0: i mean you're getting yeah. some you i know,
2: got i got a, i mean i'm not gonna post it but just contact
0: testosterone it. high you're welcome yeah thank you so yeah apparently the uh the testosterone is making a little bit of my body hair grow back there you go so fuzzy was was a bear
2: <laughs> so this a, to go back on you know for providing goods or services at what point would you consider or would you think it's recommended to? Talk to an attorney to get some contracts in place.
0: So there's a lot of services online, which I I can tell you for basic stuff are okay. So first of all, why is it important, do you think, for people to get contracts in place? Well, so a a common misconception for most people is that a contract is like an ironclad agreement. A contract is not an ironclad agreement. A contract just sets the baseline for a conversation when and if you go to court. Right. A lot of people think that a breach of contract is also a terrible thing. Not in the eyes of the law. Right. If you have a contract and it's broken, the contract that you guys established just sets the baseline for a judge to go in and have and navigate the conversation. Yes. Without that, the judge is going to have to take your word for it, the other person's word for it, and then come to some kind of resolution based on what they think may have been the mindset or the mens rea at the time, Latin for mindset affecting yeah. the mental function of it. Uh, at the time that got you into that contract. And what right? you guys agreed upon. What you guys agreed upon and who's telling the truth. And there's always some kind of element of a misunderstanding. right? To the extent that you can get all the details out on your own and you feel comfortable with your agreement, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily need an attorney, but attorneys are generally pretty good at knowing the, the minimum amount of material that you need to have in writing to really prove your position on both sides of the equation. Right. So, it, I mean, if you're entering into something like uh, an agreement for lawn care, I don't think you need to go to an attorney. You just need to have a general agreement. You can pull up with something like rocket lawyer or whatever. Pick a website. Right. It doesn't need to be overly complicated. Mm -hmm. As you get bigger and bigger business, then sure, have an attorney draft you custom documents, have somebody look at your stuff. But to spend the money in the beginning, like that's just, that's over analysis. Mm -hmm. You're now spending money and time that you're not making in a company that you should be starting well above it. Now, if you're in the real estate business, all the contracts are provided for you from the Department of Real Estate. They're right. all there. Right. But you owe it to yourself to understand how to use them. Right. Another problem with a lot of entrepreneurs is they have agreements, but they're using them wrong. Yes. People will just literally unilaterally check boxes. They won't read the entire so give agreement. Me,
2: give me an example of one that people use wrong in the real estate business.
0: In the, Wow, there's so many. Um, another, A common pet peeve that I have with people in the real estate business is they'll check the boxes and run through a form, but they won't actually read it. Yeah. And a lot of times, some of the boxes you check are not meant to be checked. <laughs> okay. You know, so they're like, you check here if, or, so people don't read the forms they're using in a lot confusion, of confusion, then there needs to be clarification. Some people are so eager for a sale, they're they're rushing through the nuance of the agreements without right. fully understanding them and sitting down and reading them. Right. And that happens so, so much of the time in the real estate game. Yeah. Or people will be very lazy. They won't fill them out all the way. And if you leave like blank spots, I I, like, I never leave blank spots. Yeah. A lot of realtors will do that. They'll just leave a blank spot because like, I'm not using it, so whatever. And they actually yeah. teach you sometimes yeah. in the department. Instead of just writing like N.A. Yeah. And I think I think either that or like a line through things. Yeah. What you're eliminating is somebody's ability to come back later on and add stuff to that. Yes. It sounds stupid and probably untrustworthy, but that's that's reality, man. Yeah. I mean, like you go, you, just go back to being risk adverse. Yeah. A really good attorney will make sure that you don't have any spots that can be filled in with anybody, you know, anybody else's material later on. Right. And that's just basic stuff. It's like one-on-one. But if you're lazy or you're in a rush and you you just want to get something signed so bad, Mm -hmm. desperation is palpable, man. People can smell that stuff. So if you're running a business, run the business like you know what you're having people do. Nothing is more embarrassing than you're trying to get somebody to sign a contract or an agreement with you for some reason. Right. And you can't articulate to them what your agreement says. Oh, yeah, that's the worst. That happens a lot. Oh, my God. A lot. Someone asked you a question a, because they read it, and now you look like an idiot. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, let me get back to you. Not me, you. Yeah, yeah. Just be clear. <laughs> yeah, you pointing at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. look like an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, again, it depends on what kind of business you're in. If you're selling something online, it just happens to be retail, know your terms and conditions. Yeah, you need you need terms and services on your website. Yeah, so a lot of people will open up something like a Shopify store, right? Right. Or they'll open up a storefront, and they'll sell it like a product online, whether that's... Um, ties, and yeah. socks, you know, yeah, lapel pins, lapel pins, whatever it is. You have to know some, some baseline stuff about your own website. So Shopify and these, these providers, they give you terms of service that you can agree to and that will be on your website. Right. But you should know what they say. Yeah. And you should also know things like California has a CCPA, right? Certain mm-hmm. things that have to be on your website at all times. Exactly. You have to make sure you follow the law here and people will sometimes skip and forego all this, not because they 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 don't want to know it just because they just don't look into it or they don't even read it. Yeah, or they're just lazy. Yeah, not checking you know everything they need to do beforehand, which is fine like to some degree. But you have to understand if, if you're paying for a service provider and they give you these things, you should know what they say. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times you, you'll you'll run across somebody who doesn't care and notice they won't read it and you're just like okay right. well dude like this is what your website says right Absolutely. a lot yeah.
2: So let's see you've now been a part of we've grown the bank right mm-hmm. to where it is now. 12 billion asset in size north of yeah yeah north of let's say someone is uh successful enough and they've gotten through this and they're able to now grow a team right i mean how what's your process like when you're thinking about building
0: a team out uh it's kind of evolved over the years um i think in the beginning i hired i hired the right people and and i still try to but i think the the overriding architecture is different now at scale than it was when you're starting. When you're starting, you want to hire people that can, that can do 80, 90% of the job. Mm-hmm. And you really think about that. And you start thinking about their function. And now I care less about your function mm-hmm. as I do about you blending in with the team. Because nothing, nothing detracts people more from their job than drama or like not getting along with somebody. Right. And some of the idiosyncrasies that are there. And so some of, I know that if somebody's made it to me for an interview, yeah, they meet the criteria. Mm-hmm. They they have the baseline, and so many people will lie on their resumes. Yeah, oh, yeah, everybody lies on their resumes about right. something. And yeah. look, I get it. Like, you know, we all embellish. We all have a little bit of our own hyperbole built. And some of us believe our own lies. You know, Fake like, to make it. Like my mind says that I've never had a hair transplant. We know that's not true. Yeah, we know you got, you took it from your legs. You yeah. put it on your head. That's not appropriate. My <laughs> leg hair is clearly thinner. <laughs> but, but whatever. So, but yeah, it's one of those things where, where I look at, I look at somebody from a different perspective now. So it's not uncommon for me to not to look at anybody's resume when they come to my office. If you're interviewing me now, yeah, I generally don't look at your resume. Uh, I don't care about your resume. That's, that's gotta be pretty intimidating. It bothers people. It bothers people a lot. And I'll I'll, I'll literally tell them- They're it, prepared for that. They would like- Yeah. If you bring in notes or you bring it, so a lot of people do this too. They'll, they'll come in and they'll have like notes about the company because they look at the website. They do all the typical re- re- like job stuff, right? Like yeah. sh- kudos to you. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Right. You're not going to impress me because you can read our website. Right. Yeah. You're not going to impress me because you got a ton of degrees or you worked at a lot of places. You want to know how you can impress me? Be genuine in my office. Yeah. And make me feel like you're somebody I can actually work with.
2: Because I'm going to be working with you on a day-to-day basis and my yeah. team's going to be working with you on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I'm
0: not talking about somebody being nervous or not nervous like that you should you should be whatever you are normally. Like yeah. if you're nervous in the situation, cool. If you're not, cool. Like I don't care. But don't be disingenuous. Right. Don't be so overeager that it feels weird. Yeah, there's a lot of weird people who come in for interviews, man. Yeah. A lot of weird people, and it's just that's the, the, my perspective. Now, when I, when, we, when we started, it was I was looking for the right person to do the right job and and had 100 mm-hmm. percent of the qualities, and I was looking at their resume and 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 I'll tell you that it's changed a lot. I believe that if you hire smart, talented people, mm-hmm. uh, let me phrase it a different way. I think any of us can do anybody else's job if given the right opportunity and the right motivation, right when you come on my door, that's my baseline now
1: mm-hmm.
0: I want to know if you're properly motivated right that's it, yeah, and some people some people never have that some people just don't they don't they mm-hmm. want to come into a job and they want to do their their bare minimum and they're not going to work. you've seen how protective we are over the teams now, yeah,
2: yeah, I mean as you should be i mean it it's it's worked out great and in- I love the team that we've built out with. I enjoy working with them every single day. It feels like family. It does. It does feel like family. And that aspect of it is probably what's kept us all together.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of people will say, well, you can't do that at scale, Chris. That doesn't make sense. If you have a large company like Twitter, you damn, you damn straight you can. Yeah, yeah. I believe you can. Sure, I, why I think, not? I think that the, the, the biggest disconnect is, is that, so normally someone like me wouldn't interview as much as I do. Mm-hmm. But I do like to interview people for different groups. The, you don't have to get along with everybody, right? But you have to get along with that core group that you function with. Right. So if you're an analyst in the analyst pool, I want to know that you mesh with the other analysts, right? If you're an underwriter in the underwriter pool, I want to know that you're make... same way if you're a Twitter, if you're a coder, right. You should get along with the coders and, and match with that team. Right. If you're in the ads and marketing group, you should get along with those people. I don't need, I don't need you to get along with the coder,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but I need you to get along with the core group of people that you work with on a daily basis. Right. So.
2: What you're saying, so this is now, we're talking about a big corporation, but if someone's just starting now and they're able to hire a person or two to grow, what you're also saying is everything, their skills, their, everything that they know how to do is equally as important as you being able to get along with them, mm-hmm. right? Because now we're setting up a relationship that we're going to be working together for quite some time.
0: Yeah, and when you're smaller, the, the focus should be on, on realizing that you need to train people in order to scale. Yes, And a lot of really successful salespeople, they don't want to sacrifice their time in selling Mm -hmm. to train so they have the infrastructure so they can go sell more. Yes. But the truly amazingly successful salespeople are the ones that learn to build their back shop, to take the time away from their sales for a little bit, to train their teams, and they leverage their teams to get even more production done over time. Mm -hmm. If you're naive enough to think that you can't slow down to train somebody because you're just so busy. Right. I'll tell you, you're going to feel that way the majority of your career until you realize that, that that is not the way. Right, and you're only making your life more difficult. And so many great salespeople, they, they fall
2: victim to that. Yeah, we know them too. So that actually led me into my next question. So that was one thing. Is there anything else that you can think of that can really help people scale a
0: business that maybe they're not thinking about? I mean, it really depends on what type of business it is, but I would say planning for the business to not be about you. Yeah, yeah. that the biggest the biggest thing I think people especially smaller entrepreneurs will do is that they'll, they'll get into a business with themselves being like the subject matter expertise mm-hmm. or the, the the main focus. And I would say that the biggest companies are not about a single, singular individual, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're about something that's bigger than that. And I know there's people that have these huge personas, like the Elon Musk of the world, or the Jeff Bezos, but I guarantee you, there's a lot of smart people in the upper management of Amazon who run Amazon now. Bezos obviously taking a, a different position, but right, the company needs to be much bigger than just you, and needs to have the infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? If it's so, if you're driving all these things to happen in the beginning, that's the way it's supposed to be. But you also need to be comfortable letting go to transition to that next level. Yeah. And as you let go, there's less things that you're focusing on. They, pe- these people don't need to do something 100% the way you would. They need to do about 80%.
2: We talked about this right. with Adam when, right. when uh, Adam came on the show. And he said that it was, it was really hard for him at one point to, to let it go, mm-hmm. but to understand that
0: this is needed in order for us to scale and grow. And see, that's the juxtaposition uh, of entrepreneurship that I think people really don't understand. If you do have that passion that we always tell everybody you should have, it's going to be hard for you to let go. Yes. If you really value something and you think that it's like your baby, Mm -hmm. you want to take care of it. You want to protect it like it's your child because you built this. Right. But at the same time, that is not the highest and best use of your time. Your time at that point should be looking at a different focus. And it's when most entrepreneurs realize that their first line of customers are no longer the end Mm -hmm. consumer. Mm-hmm. it's their first layer of management below them. Right. That's when they're like, oh shit, like my job is to make their life better so they can make everybody else's life better and then ultimately the consumer's life better. A trickle down effect. It's a trickle down effect. And when you start recognizing that your focus would be better spent on things like strategy, and I will say that this is, this is the terrible thing about like corporate life in general, big company, small company, the higher up you are in a company, the more you're there to be strategic mm-hmm. and less you are to actually do physical work. Right. Lower you are in a company, the more you're there to do physical work and less you are to be strategic. Right. And this is also why in in larger companies, it's not uncommon to have like the front line of workers' bonus be 75% of their performance and only 25% of the company's how the company does, but the upper left ech- echelon to be the opposite, right? 25% of how the company does, I'm sorry, it's 25% about how they do and 75% about how the company does. Because at the top, your your moves are supposed to have a bigger impact right. on the company, and at the bottom, your move is supposed to have a lower D- impact on the company. Different level of focus. Different level of focus. Like if your m- mental strategy, your bonus should be based more on how the company does versus physically you know, how you do. Right. So th- that's where that really comes from and that's really driving the same culture and mindset. But it also leads into the this kind of false narrative in between the an employer and employee about, oh, my boss is lazy or oh, my boss doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to understand your boss's job is not to physically do things. Your boss's job... Is to continue the strategic plan and the operations not necessarily to be the one doing the calculations right so i mean it always helps when you have a boss who's worked their way up mm-hmm. and done those things but it's not always the case sometimes you'll have a very smart person who happens to have maybe a nepotism based familial tie or They'll come out of a great school or they'll just be kind of a genius on some levels or they'll be really smart and they'll skip some steps. Right. Maybe they weren't an analyst. Mm -hmm. Maybe they weren't uh, an underwriter. Maybe they weren't in all these things or maybe they didn't, uh, you know, start off in engineering and build these things. Maybe like Elon Musk never formally went to school for these things, but happens to have that skill set. So there, there isn't always the I've done that myself mentality, but I can still be the strategic person at the top. And that really upsets a lot of people because they don't feel like they've earned that position by working their way up, per se. Right. But you really can't look at that and, and judge. You've got to look at it from the perspective of is this person doing their strategic job or their functional job? And I, I, I would say people who, who get frustrated by that, they need to play the game the way it was meant to be played. Yeah. Good Simple point. as that. Yeah. It's a good point. I know it's a good
2: point. That's why I said it. Yeah. Oh, really? My bad. (laughs) Um, Now, we've talked about it before on on our previous episode. I know um, the bank was started during uh, the last great recession. 2007, October. October, right? So
0: 15 years ago and one month this month.
2: And that's kind of what inspired me to want to have this conversation. You were inspired? Inspired, baby. To have this conversation? Yeah. Because- Look what happened. If you're able to start a business during a rough time, which we're, looks like we're headed into now. I think we're in, but yeah. We're, we're in, right? But a lot of people haven't felt those effects yet. That now is a good time to maybe start something. You know, start a passion project. I, I not only do I think it's good to, I think it is the absolute best time. Right. And I think uh, most people would be more reserved, you know, but if you could just shift your focus and look at it from a different lens and really start something and perfect it. You know, there's a, there's a lot to be learned here. Clearly Chris or myself don't have the exact formula on how to, you know, make you a millionaire overnight, but there's a lot. I do. But if you could just work through everything, the trial and error process and figure out how you can grow and scale a business. Like I know for myself personally, when I was younger, the thought of owning a business and needing like how to use a business loan properly to scale a business, it was pretty frightening,
0: you know? Yeah, but all those things I think are progressive load too. Like right. you, you just do them exactly. And and the thing is, by the time you actually need that, so a lot of people will ask me this question, and this gets asked a lot: "Is hey Chris, I want to buy like a small business. Mm-hmm. How do I get a small business loan?" And I'm like, okay, what's your business plan? What, what are you going to buy? Oh no, no, no! I just want to buy a small business. I get asked this question probably like twice a month. But well, there's a there is a business that they pers- personally want to buy no i think a lot of them are like i in i'm interested in actually buying a small business a, a to be named small business i don't really know what, exactly what it looks like but i want to get my financing in place well, like so i find a business like a line of credit and yeah and like it's that. like that's not the way it works as yeah. you find a business you get a business plan if you want to go through uh government lending you know uh sba, SBA something like that. right you come up with a business plan and you, and you put together a strategy based on the business you want to buy mm-hmm. for moving pro forma and you know income projections and all these things you, you gotta you can't put the cart before the horse. You right. can't get financing in place until you know what the business is gonna make and you don't know what the business is gonna make until you identify a business and figure out what it's gonna look like. Yeah, you have to show that you know how to run this type of business and, and
2: you know what to expect.
0: And then I always tell people like why, why then buy somebody else's existing business? I mean, sure there's there's an opportunity for there, you know, that and there's certain circumstances which that, that might be ideal, but for most of us, for most people listening to the show, just get out there and do it, man. Just yeah. do it. I look, I, I'll, I'll, let me just, uh, Wow, I haven't even thought about this in a long time. But let's run down some of the businesses I, I've started and failed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I looked at possibly wholesaling cars when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Got, a, got a wholesale license and then gave that up. I uh, was flipping stuff on eBay for a long period of time. I looked at possibly you know, making my own clothes. Uh, never got off the ground. I did the websites for a while. Did a couple of those. Got mm-hmm. really good. Uh, with That's some-
2: definitely something that I feel like people can... Start. You could learn the skill right now on on your own, and do that for people and provide that service as you're five to nine.
0: Yeah, and so many of the skills that I learned from those businesses that failed, they still help me to this day. Like I learned, I learned web design. I learned about Macromedia Flash, which I thought, okay, well, Macromedia Flash went away. Adobe bought them, and they're not, you know, nobody uses them on the web anymore. Effectively, Apple killed them all that was wasted time and well it turns out well all the video editing that we do for stuff like this even the sound editing right use the same timelines the same functionality so those skill sets were still there from using that back then and then like adobe and, and all those things that i use for like you know pictures and photos right i use those all the time too uh you know when it came down to the studio and in production i had to learn new things but i mean these these businesses have helped congeal skill sets like right i wouldn't be able to do the stuff that we do in the podcast now if it wasn't for getting to social media and learning about social media's platforms and then kind of lever leveling up on those certain things and yeah all of them took a, a certain degree of risk but they were all started at my f- my five to nine not my nine to five right almost all the skill sets i mean in so much of what i've learned even while at the bank yeah i've learned outside of the bank like you know the, the program at yale that i went to and then actually passing the bar and all this, this, this. I did all this after hours yeah, um, and a lot of people who are listening to this are to give them an excuse, themselves an excuse to say, oh God, I get home from work and I'm so tired. Dude, my wife was pregnant, you know, right. with, with our son and and I was, at, I literally left to go to Yale. Now, I'm sure she's not happy about it at the time, but you know, she made the sacrifice for us and made it for our future, but right. my wife was pregnant. I had to leave for, for weeks at a time to go to the East coast. Right. And that was just what I did. Like, I understand the stress in everybody's life and I understand how difficult it is and the responsibilities that we have. But if you really want to make something happen, you can make it happen. You just got to stop giving yourself excuse for, it, for not making
2: it happen. It, there's never going to be a perfect time.
0: There's never a perfect time. Like I, in, I, there, there the no different.
2: Plenty of times where in the two cases that I can reference personally is I could easily talk myself out of like I can't do the podcast, I man. I got two kids at home. I work a full time. I would whooped your ass. Yeah, if you came I got, out I, got I got I got a, a full time job. I got this and that, right? But it's like, well, first of all, this is fun, and we're really enjoying it. And that, don't lie, man. You want to get rich? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No you time here like no time. Soon. Show me the money. Yeah, <laughs> no time soon, but. The passion is there and I really enjoyed it. And I feel like we can grow this into something. And why not start something now so we can come through the other side um, much better? But another thing was having kids. You're never going to feel like it's the right time to have kids. If I were to, if, when I was younger, thinking about being a father, I never thought that, you know, I, I thought that my financial position, everything would be much different than where it is now. Now, I don't know if that was me being really optimistic or whatnot, but I thought I I could be, you know, around more and you know, physically be there more, but it's never going to feel
0: like the perfect right time. So you got to just bite the bullet and do it at some point. Businesses are the same way. And what I like about recessionary economies are is, at least in my experience, is that in recessionary economies, the competition in most businesses starts to dwell down, mm-hmm. right? If You're a real estate agent and you're feeling the pain right now. If you can survive this recessionary economy, you're gonna come out the other side and gain a ton of traction in business because there'll be way less competition. Right. If you're in the mortgage business and you can survive all this, same thing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When we started the bank, we started in October 2007, there was nobody who was lending money. And it wasn't because we were smart or had this complicated plan, it was just because that was the timing when the charter came through and everything kind of coalesced and I met everybody else and we came together and we did this, right? Right. Well, we didn't know it was gonna be a recession in the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. The same way, I think a lot of people who are now looking at what down the barrel of what we're looking at now, remember, a recession hasn't been declared nationally yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Although we believe there's been, you know, we've been in one since ch- January, it doesn't really matter. The fact of the, ma- the matter is, is that, look, it doesn't matter what happens next.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There's an opportunity here, a strategic one. And sure, inflation is going to drive up costs and all these things, but there are certain industries that, that are going to have uh, an interesting boom coming up.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's your choice to see that opportunity, and take advantage of it now, and become acclimated and get strong in this space as these opportunities start to arise. I'll tell you right now, collections on debt—that's going to tick up. Right, debt consolidation is going to start ticking up again. Right, I mean, these are these are things that are going to happen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, refinances when the market turns the other way. If you're in the market right now and you can survive, and mm-hmm. you can survive in a high interest rate environment, you will crush during a low interest rate environment when rates are going the other way. Right, or if this is something that you're looking to
2: get into. Get your real estate license now. Get everything prepared and ready for th- for that moment. That when things do turn around, let's say you can't get any deals right now because it's it's really tough to do, right? Because you haven't, you've never gotten a deal. At least get things in order and in place so that when the time comes, you're prepared and you can go and not have to stall another three, four, five months in order for you to get your licenses and everything in order. Yep. Nothing you've been zoned out because you're watching MTV Spanking New. It just seems like a really weird,
0: like, it just looks like everybody's smoking weed and, like, standing yeah. in front of an apartment building. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't, like, I'm trying to figure, like, no part of this lifestyle right now looks at all, like, good. Yeah, yeah. Like, what are you doing? I, I don't want this. Yeah, this is exactly <laughs> the opposite of what we're talking about. So, yeah. we do have, um, I mean, I don't know how many questions more you have, but no, I, no, we have no, some but questions for the audience.
2: If people like this and you, you want to hear more on anything specific, just let us know
0: in to Chris's DMs. <laughs> to my DMs, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I tried posting a Q and I bet you got no responses. That
2: time. I got all the responses. Did you bro. really? Did yeah, you get all responses? These, yeah. All these people that sent you questions, they sent them to me no, too. They, no,
0: they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's a total lie. I saw you post that. I'm like, whoa, 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 bro. Let me tell yeah. you how this works. I'm trying to get. Again. I'm trying to get acclimated. So it took me a long time, man. When I when I first got on social media, yeah, I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I, I would post Q and As, and I'd be the only person asking myself questions. <laughs> I, I just pulled it out myself because yeah. nobody would answer. It
2: was yeah. so, tell, it was I, so got sad. I actually got something funny. Uh-huh. So I, I posted it, right? I, I didn't get a response for a while. I thought I, I thought I fucked up. I thought I did something wrong. So I sent one to myself. I wrote test.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, you had more than one though. Look at that. Look at yeah, How many yeah, you got there? Yeah, yeah, uh, I got four. Okay, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, we got a lot more than four. Let's yeah. use my list because your list is a little, little small. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's, it's petite. It's, it's light. <laughs> All right, first question comes from Tyler. You got your guys' early days of grinding your journey, career slash life. Oh, wow. Well, as I'm the old one, I'm the only one who can have early days. Actually, I, I got something to add to this too, but go ahead. What do you got? What do you got? Oh, yeah. So, um, remember,
2: I think we talked about it one time on the podcast. I dropped out of law school after year one. Yeah, you are a failure for that. Yeah, I failed that. Yeah, no. I dropped out. It wasn't for me. Uh, it, it didn't paint the picture of the family man that I wanted to be. I had to bite that bullet and I'm glad that I did. No regrets, but I had to start back from the bottom after that. Mm. Um, and it was, it was tough. And keep in mind, I was newly engaged. I had a, I had a, you know, my fiance's family at the time, everyone thinking that I'm going to be an attorney. And I had to start at the bottom of the bank, you know, and that was a, that was a tough pill to swallow. They had to check your ego at the door, you know, and um, to grind that out. And, you know, Get to where we are now it, it feels really good you put a lot of time and effort in but um i mean a lot of help along the way with a lot of mentors
0: but it was a tough grind man hmm i got I got a number of stories but i'll, I'll, share, I'll share this one um i took the bar uh the first time i didn't pass and um i i knew it then that i wasn't properly motivated to take it i, I just there was nothing about being an attorney that i think that i wanted to be mm-hmm. um i took it a second time didn't really study at all especially compared to the first time may not have passed that time too and by may not i mean i didn't yeah i mean and then it was i didn't take it again for a long time i I mean
2: i I think you told me the second the second time you were off by
0: a couple points and you sent it back in for review or something right the first time i was so i can't remember i think it was like 10 points something or less so i can't remember what, what it was but there was like a threshold where it went in for review and somebody had to like look at your work yeah the first time i was like I, I went in for a review. I was super close. I was like 10 points. I think it was 10 points. The oh, threshold. that was the first one. Okay. First one. The second one, I was like seven points. Yeah. And both times, somebody went, like, looked at it and said, like, nah, this guy's, this yeah. guy's not there.
2: <laughs> That's so That hurts. That's pouring it,
0: salt on an open wound. Yeah. So it, and then the, the, the third time I took it was um, 14 years later. Wow. So, at this point in time, my wife and I hadn't had our son yet, but yeah, I mean, I was, I was working every single day, so i get to the office early. I would study till about 8, o- 8 o'clock in the morning. I remember those days, man. Yeah, and I did this for six months straight. And then at night, I would, um, I would study until essentially I fell asleep in, in the office, go home, eat dinner, and then start studying again. And then I would do 12 to 15 hours every single day on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, This every single day for six months with no breaks, and then took the bar again, ta- all while working full time.
2: It takes that level of discipline, though. Right. I mean, and I know it sucks, but there's certain things that you have to miss along the way that really, it probably hurts deep down, but it's, it's something that you committed to that you have to do. I remember you would come out of your office sometimes and be like, fuck, there's a caveat to the caveat yeah. to the caveat.
0: <laughs> I, I was, dude, you should have seen me during the exam. I was so like strung out. Yeah. And I'm, I'm honestly thinking about doing like a CFA or CPA one now. Wow. For no other reason than, than I kind of missed the, the uh, focus, but. Challenge. That's your question, Tyler. Let's go with uh, my man, P.G. Wood. P.G. Wood. Talking shit about Airbnb arbitrage and fake gurus. Can we make that happen? Uh, we can make that positive. Uh, yeah, we can make that happen. and Yeah, we can make it positive. Make it positive? Yeah, let me tell you what a piece of shit fake gurus are with this Airbnb arbitrage thing, okay? We covered the, quote, wolf of Airbnb on the last episode, and I got to tell you, this whole ideology that you see these people on social media selling courses to teach you how to Airbnb arbitrage with no money down and you're paying them $5,000, bro, if you have $5,000 to spend, yeah, yeah, exactly, you should not be giving it to some guy to teach you how to do something you can find for free on YouTube. Right, exactly. This is bullshit. And people have like this weird sense of security in some guy who calls himself a teacher. Credentials matter, man. I saw one of these posts today, man. It,
2: I, I wanted to actually bring it up to you, like off the show, and be like, "Is this the kind of shit that's going on here on it's social media?" It's going on media? on
0: scale. This guy's on like, scale. This guy's "Airbnb like, this- is the most common bullshit scam right I, now." I have
2: this hundred thousand dollar car that weighs this much, and I could run it through my business through Airbnb arbitrage because it makes so and so amount of money. Oh, that so this, <laughs> this is this is the hook, like, right? They're like, Jesus. "Oh, look
0: at my Lambo! I'm standing in front of it. You could have one too." And look, I don't have any money to put down on any of the properties, but now I got. Two hundred thousand properties, and and I'm making money, and I'm traveling all over the world because I do Airbnb arbitrage, and I know the rules, so I don't rent short term. I rent long term rentals to lux properties, lux, lux. You mean luxury? You dumbass, <laughs> lux. And you're just like, come on, bro. I can't stand this shit. And then they're, they're like, they they act like they have all these cheat codes for the system, and like they're getting all these properties, and, and like you start don't? doing due diligence, and if you literally start diving down the details of this. Like there's never any supporting facts. Like no no one ever gives you addresses. Right. No one ever gives you their Airbnb username. You can't search Airbnb by usernames anyway and really get kind of the the addresses and put pieces together. It's such a bullshit thing, man. It's like unbelievable. I've never found a single one of these gurus Mm. that have actually had a verifiable like port a pool of assets you can look at. At least with real estate owners, you can pull a title and be like, all right, this this makes sense. This person owns this LLC, which owns this property. Right. Stuff like that. But some of these people are so full of shit and the worst part about it is is like the it seems like the more money these courses are the more people are like, "Ooh, I need to buy it." Yeah. He must be good. He's charging me $15,000 and it's one-on-one mentorship. Get out. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going like, "Bro, if he sells you and one other person, yeah. That's 10 G's a month and and I I've, I've actually talked to people about the numbers these guys are raking in. Mm-hmm. I know a guy who's a complete piece of shit, who's selling $25,000 Airbnb arbitrage courses. And he, this is the way he pitches it. I sell out every single month. I only take eight to 10 spots. And I'm like, that's $250,000. Oh my like, God. What are you doing? And, and he's like, I only take eight, 10 spots a month. They sell out every single time. DM me the word arbitrage. And then- Tell me X, Y, and like, this is such bullshit. Like why, you do the, the number one, show me your proof of funds because I don't want to waste my time because my time is so valuable. Number two, Jeez. tell me why you want to do this because I don't want to work with ethical people who have the right kind of integrity. Mm-hmm. And three, tell me something interesting about, about yourself. Like who the fuck are you? If I'm yeah. giving you twenty five thousand dollars, roll over, do flips, call me daddy. I don't give a shit. I'm not <laughs> telling you all the rest of that shit. Like what are you doing? <laughs> and, like, and like I'm seeing, I'm seeing this, and it makes me so angry that people are like all up in the comment section going like, "Bro, I DM'd you, you didn't get back to me. What did I say next that, to you?" That like uh, begging, and you uh, know these people are not using cash; they're using credit cards. And you know, homeboys like cha ching, cha ching.
2: Yeah, he just cashing it. Let's That's say he's really full sad, of shit. Let,
0: let's say he's full of shit. Let's say he does two a month. That's still
2: fifty grand a month. Yeah, bro. Even if he did one, but imagine might just show up to the class. To just one person you're like
0: no 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 it's no class it's all over like skype and zoom it's one on one over zoom oh no <laughs> the, the, you, you're thinking way too much infrastructure brother this is, yeah. this, is this, this is not like notes this is him just talking to you for like one hour quote mentoring sessions every other day or some shit oh my god and man. people pay for this And he's going to give you a list of the vendors that he uses for his quote Airbnb, which by the way, you can get from YouTube for free and put together on a PDF and say, these are the vendors that I use on my properties, which you don't actually have, because guess what? Your main source of income is this shit.
2: Yeah. If it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true.
0: Please. I have a new variant of this saying, if it sounds like absolute bullshit, it is absolute bullshit. There you go. (sighs) Hopefully that made you feel better. That was the positive spin. (laughs) Talk about your side hustles and the learning lessons from them, especially the failed ones. This is from Misa. Mm. Go ahead. I need to ponder on this a little bit. You need to ponder on this? Okay. So, Sayid and I's primary side hustle these days is the podcast. Yes. I would say that my other businesses have grown into uh, non-side hustles and have a focus where they've, they've required you know, full-time managers because I can't be there full-time. The real estate company, the law firm, uh, but I've had a lot of failed side hustles i think when i went into real estate as a realtor when i was younger i think that was a failed side hustle i didn't have the time to dedicate to it Mm -hmm. Uh, it wasn't until i started doing my own deals that that i really became successful and i took the time to mature i think one of the mistakes i made when i was younger there was i didn't recognize that me being young was a hindrance even no matter how much i knew Mm -hmm. you know if you look like you live in your mom and dad's house people aren't really going to take you seriously for the single largest investment they make particularly in a high net worth area there are rare exceptions to that, I'm sure, but for the most part, a younger person is not going to be as successful as an older, more experienced looking person. I failed miserably that the first go-around took me a second attempt at it, honestly, me getting into real estate as an investor before I really kind of galvanized and congealed what really needed to be done. Right. I think the websites and stuff that I did when I was younger were a bit of a failure in that I got out of them way too soon. I think uh I hit burnout with them being side hustles at night and I was really, really focused on having an active social life. You were uh, building websites for people or what? No, no. I was. Uh, so I had um, a couple of websites, one of which was the, the fashion one we talked about at the beginning of the show. Oh, where the it was, one, yeah. yeah. And it was it was a lot like a hype beast kind of a website, but it was all about high-end fashion and clothes, mm-hmm. which were really making a crossover in a more popular culture at the time. I think Kanye West and Pink Polo, was that kind of period. Right. I I think I, that brand could have grown and been, some, been something significantly bigger. Mm-hmm. But... I was trying to maintain a social life, and looking back on it retrospective, the easy decision would have been to cut the social life stuff out, focus on that, and just continue to work. Right. I made the wrong decision. Mm. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, I, like Chris said, my primary side hustle these days is the podcast, which we're enjoying thoroughly. The one that comes to mind, though, are the lapel pin flowers that my wife used to make. We really let something slip away there. Um, there was only one main competitor back in the day, Hook and Albert, which makes some pretty fly stuff. but. I think the ones how I made were much better. And I
0: wish we would have kept that going. Yeah. I wish we would have too. She was good. Yeah. yeah that that, that could have been something.
2: Yeah. And I think we just got in our own way. We were, and there was a whole dandy we phase were,
0: that came after that too. You guys would have, I know
2: we were, we were really afraid of just the unknown. I think that's what it was. And in hindsight, I wish we would
0: have really gave it a go. All right. Next one. Kiana popped out four questions, girl. Mm. <laughs> so we'll go rapid fire through your four questions. Uh, question number one, other than layoffs, how do you expect to see companies reduce costs? Oh, wow. Uh, reduced
2: costs? Well, that might, that might come in the form of not paying out um, increases. <laughs> this is the most terrible. You, you look so... Jesus
0: Christ. And also not paying bonuses. All right. So, um, <laughs> the way you answered that question was very sketchy. Yeah, what do you mean? So, a good company will look to improve their operational efficiency to the extent that they can in the current economic climate. A lot of times, there's only so much they can do to improve efficiency in operations, and it winds winds up being the human capital portion like you looked at. Mm -hmm. A lot of companies have things like bonuses, which Syed refers to. Those can be scaled back. A lot of them are, quote, discretionary, not necessarily performance-based bonuses, so you can see some stuff there pull back. Uh, They can also look at some of their costs for infrastructure. A lot of companies have transitioned to work from home. And a lot of companies uh, are also still kind of figuring out the how much people do want to work for from home or not. But if they can let go of like a floor, so for example, uh, if you ha- have um, space in a high rise tower in uh, in Orange County, you could be paying fifty thousand dollars a month. That's half a million dollars plus a year, right. six hundred thousand dollars a year. You could be saving if you have more people work from home, you need less office space. So it's really an efficiency game. Um, you could do what Pepsi Cola did and just raise your cost and hope mm-hmm. that you sell more. And they may wind up having their most profitable quarter ever because they raised their prices by 17 bucks, which happened to match inflation. Right. And we also talked
2: about, on, I think on a previous episode, Google said that they were going to cut down on some of the incentives that they had around the office, right? Like some of the
0: perks, right? Yeah. And that, that's in the way to, to, those are easy scale backs. So it really comes down to some of the simple things that that everybody thinks about on a daily basis, but they don't really think about in the bigger picture of things, right? Mm-hmm. It's can you save costs by spending less? Mm-hmm. Same thing you do in your personal life. Can you, if you can't make more money, can you s- cut back on spending? Uh, you know, can you cut back on some of the debt you're paying down? Can you pay that off and and you know save more money every single month? Mm-hmm. Companies are really no different. It's the exact same things that we all do. Right. Uh, next question from Kiana: uh, Will this correction ultimately improve affordability and access to home ownership? I would like to say yes to that, and I think in the near term the answer is no.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: I think in the near term, with high interest rates and now a very questionable supply and demand industry. I don't know that we're ever going to get to a period where you see supply come back because now construction has been the first to pull back. You've seen the home builders pull back dramatically. Demand without affordability is not demand. Uh, so unless supply creeps up over time, I think you're going to wind up falling back into a, a bit of a questionable status for the first-time homebuyer and affordability.
2: Right. And we talked about earlier on the show that depending on what comes out on the upcoming weeks, the Fed might uh, increase their terminal rate past 5% and the million dollar question is how long do they hold the rates we still don't know
0: that Mm, so uh, that'll really factor i think you see a year plus man i really do easily i agree uh next question from kiana number three what industries tend to succeed in market downturns uh wow okay so i would say in the last 14 years you've seen this incredible demand in the luxury space Mm -hmm. uh luxury watches luxury cars i think you see the absolute opposite happen uh during a very stressed economy like we're entering into so i think you start to see more reasonable and prudent spending on things that are less luxury and more every day so instead of the high-end cars being sold i think you start seeing some mid-sized normal vehicles like the hondas Mm -hmm. the the you know the the non Teslas, if you will, the, the just normalized vehicles, and the, I think mm-hmm. stuff like that. So anytime you can you can walk away from like a designer high end brand to a cheaper alternative, I think that's mm-hmm. where consumer discretionary spending tends to go. I also think on the adverse side of what happens in these economies, like, like we talked about before, debt collection is going to rise up, bankruptcy business is going to rise up, right? And I think uh, as people stop stop spending as much on travel,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're going to start to see more local activities p- pick up. Mm. right so a lot of like the the outings like barbecues and picnics and stuff like that so some right. of that some of that stuff will come up uh cooking from home will start to pick up a little bit so you're going to start to see a little bit more i think discretionary spending in the stores on more general store size products stuff like that makes sense less spending eating out some of the fancier places so people have to eat people have to still go out and do things and it's not going to be that high-end variant it's gonna be like the, the, the lower end variant or the more affordable variants right that's stuff that tends to do well Okay. Right. Yeah. Just hope we
2: don't see a lot of those uh, vacancies that we were seeing in retail strips early on uh, in the pandemic.
0: I think you still see them. I don't think that ever really healed. Office space is obviously getting kicked in the ding ding right now, but I think retail is still going through a bit of a renaissance. We saw a lot of commissaries and stuff like that develop, a lot of outdoor shopping developments instead of your traditional mm-hmm. malls, but I don't know that that whole industry has ever really truly stabilized. I think it feels stable because it's been a prolonged period of economic prosperity, but I don't know that retail is truly stabilized. Right. Uh, fourth question from Kiana. Best personal financial advice you ever gotten? Mm. First book I ever read was uh financial book was uh, Multiple Streams of Income by Robert G. Allen. The book in and of itself was old. It's uh, I want to say it's a maybe a predecessor around the same time mm. as Rob Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Mm. But the principles from the books, even it's obviously apparent in its title, about having multiple streams of income and doing multiple things to make money never left me. Right. Uh, that is why I do so many things that I do now. Um, it's just kind of the the baseline for who I am as an individual. Yeah. And for me, it works. Yeah.
2: For me early on, um, it was just how how to use a credit card properly from, I remember my parents taught me that early on and I'm glad that they did because I have other friends that didn't and I never got sucked, you know, into that and never spent more than I actually had. So that, Mm. that always helped me early on, which I think allowed you know, my wife and I early on to buy our first place when we first got married and we didn't carry a whole
0: lot of unnecessary debt. Hmm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Sexy. From Donnie, since you're aiming for something positive, first big purchase after your first big success. Donnie, mm-hmm. I have not had a first big success. <laughs> I can't think of I feel like a big purchase for me is like almost laughable.
2: We haven't had
0: any big purchases. I've before. never... Other than the investment properties that I, I've acquired, I've I've never really, I've never really had a a win big enough to feel like it warranted a big purchase. Yeah, I, that so might sound stupid. For, for
2: me, I guess I I'll say what my big, my quote unquote big purchase was. But I remember it was um, I think after receiving one of the bonus checks at the bank, and I decided like, hey, man, I'm gonna pull the trigger and buy myself a home gym.
0: Oh, yeah, I, try, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I was
2: really really juiced about it because I got myself. You know the squat stand with the right with the right bar, all rogue stuff. You know, got the bumper plates. I remember getting the horse stall mats and I really decked out the garage. That felt really good.
1: Yeah,
0: it looked good too. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me uh, let me modify my answer a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the kind of person that impulsively has like something like that planned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I generally am very long in my calculations. So I mean, I've I've obviously spent stupid money on stuff like two hundred thousand dollars on a 1968 Datsun, right? Like I've spent yeah probably that much in the BMW. Eh, maybe only am more, like 150 ish. Um and then the BMW. Like I, I obviously had stupid discretionary spending, but right. those have been prolonged periods of of time and thoughtfulness, and I'll collect the parts in advance. And it's 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 a very long mental process. I've right. never really gone out and done like a one single thing. Now I've had Rolexes in the past, all of which I've sold. I don't really have any of my watches anymore. Um I did keep one vintage Omega, it was like a 1960s uh Omega.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh and I never wear it because my Apple Watch provides me all the utility and function that I need, mm-hmm. and I kinda like the ultra, it's sexy. It's uh, a, a big me. boy, yeah. It's a big yeah, boy, but the, um, thick wrist. Yeah, I don't really think there's a whole lot that I go out there now. I will say, when it comes to like buying something for my wife or my son, mm. I will spend not even think twice about yeah, it. Yeah, I, yeah. I will. I, I look forward to buying them things mm-hmm. in, in a much different way. Like if I, I'm thinking about like bonuses, and stuff like that. I tend to think about like splurging on them. Yeah, yeah. Credit swaps between national banks. How does that work? uh we're gonna need a longer episode brother <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a
2: good question maybe we'll do yeah that for an educational episode. they're a
0: hedge against interest rate risk but um i i will save that for a much longer conversation as it relates to a, probably an up- upcoming episode on banking oh that'd be good i think i think the irony about banking and i'm, I'm happy to talk about this in, in a greater context and this will surprise many if i were to describe how banking works to you the consumer
1: mm-hmm.
0: in a very dumbed down variant you would say that's fraud <laughs> it's true. You'd yeah, say yeah. it's fraud. Yeah. yeah. You'd be like, wait a minute. They, they get to lend money they don't have because there's not a lot of people coming back and asking for their money. That's what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. But if I explain it to you, you'd be like, that's not legal. And I, it's damn right it's legal. Right. And if you go back to the history of how one, banks started one of the greatest hustles of all time. Yeah. They used, I mean, way, way, way back in the day, they used to actually have houses where or like a safe house where you'd take your money to and you leave your gold and your silver and everything else there. Right. And because it was a safe place to keep your money instead of in your house. And they would give you like a piece of paper, like a bill. Mm-hmm. that said, hey, you had all this paper. Yeah. Like you have all this stuff here. And right. it's like five gold bars or whatever, six gold you know, silver bars, whatever. And then people got so lazy that going back to the, the house to get their their metal and they would just cross out the ledger on the, on the, on the bill and give it back to them and say, oh, there's three gold bars now, whatever. They'd get so lazy doing that. They would just change their bills or notes, piece of paper with yeah. somebody else as part of their transactions. So right. they were trading. And that's and that's how currency was developed. It's, it's, it's how currency was developed. But then not only that, but then it, it kind of goes farther down the path and then you wind up in a situation where now you have currency and, but the people who have the money were like, well, I can loan this out and get a bill from somebody else. right?" Because these people aren't coming back for their money. Banks operate the exact same way today, except mm-hmm. now we use layer, leverage on leverage in some circumstances. And you, if, if you break it down, it sounds crazy. The banking system is, there. there's, So much nuance to it that we don't understand as consumers because we think about it in the most simplistic fashion. But the reality of how banks operate are shocking. Mm -hmm. So separate separate episode. Uh, Brendan, I know you don't want to get into politics, but bold predictions when uh, then recheck after Tuesday, LOL. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) you don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch it, Uh, and I'll tell you that I think I'll be much more happy to talk about uh, politics as it relates to 2024, one year from now. Yeah. But as it relates to the midterm, I'm a little bit pissed off because I think so much of what we're seeing in turmoil and language in the news is driven politically, Yeah. which is another reason why on this particular show, I just didn't want to focus on the news at this point. I felt like it was so much political spin to force you to think about voting Democrat or think about voting Republican. I'm not even going to entertain that narrative. Yeah. I heard something on the news the other day that I'll tell you about offline that I was just like, come on, man, what are we doing? Yeah. Well, uh, terrible segue for the audience, but fine. Yeah. Uh, industries where you see potential growth in the next few years. Is a recurrent, recurrent question? Mm. I think, uh, as you've seen lately, a lot of these service-based businesses for hospitality are struggling, mm-hmm. but I think a lot of the service-based businesses for like regional stuff are actually doing pretty well. Like what? Um, so I, I think a lot of like um stuff you normally see like parks, like uh the jumper the jumpers for kids and the birthday parties and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of that stuff is gonna wind up becoming more and more demand. So a lot of people are doing less destination stuff and more stuff like at home and like again, yeah. Like, going back to like the barbecues, simple stuff that that just typical old school American culture, right? People would go out with their families and do yeah. stuff. I think I think a lot of that stuff will start to to do a lot better. But a lot of this excess is gonna go away. I know I'm giving somewhat of an ambiguous answer. Um so I'll tell you that I think uh, credit repair services are going to be big. People, be people got issues. I think right. bankruptcy is going to go up. I think foreclosure service is going to go up. I think um, I, I think credit management and a lot of stuff in the financial literacy space are going to become very valuable on I hope platforms so. like YouTube. I really hope so. Yeah, that definitely help podcast. We know. <laughs> yeah, Come on now. You know, uh, there's there's a lot of businesses based around, frankly, the way we think about spending that that'll increase. But- I'm almost, I'm almost going to call it like an early prediction. I think that work attire, as we know it, is changing, mm. and I think as companies get more and more comfortable with people casually dressing how they want, yeah, you're going to start to see more and more spending on brands like Lululemon, like uh, all the new brands that are coming out, like Viore, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I think those brands are going to get a lot of play in the coming years.
2: Yeah, actually, I was at the, I was at the mall. When was it? I think it was right before like the photo shoot. And I saw that they had their own section, and they even had like, you know, collar shirts that were made of that
0: like stretchy mm-hmm. like feel. They're and comfortable as shit, man. I'm like, God damn, this shit is nice. Right. The only problem is the collar isn't usually stiff enough to really wear a good tie
2: with it. Right. I know. And uh, I remember I forget I was listening to a podcast and they were they were actually talking about like, you know, how much longer until like jeans are out?
0: Yeah, I think, that, I mean, that's exactly where I'm going with this. I, I think I think they're going to get to a period of time where jeans are not. I mean, they're already not as popular as they once right. were. Right.
2: I mean, event. Things get, things get you know, outplayed over time. Uh, so, uh, there used to be a point in time when everyone would go out and wear suits, right? And that's mm-hmm. what you wear out. Then for a long stretch of time, then it's jeans. At some point in time in the future, that's going to go away. It's going to be this you know, athleisure
0: wear. I'll tell you that uh, stress, stress-based things uh, are sectors that you want to invest in. So I would say like alcohol mm-hmm. always goes up in recessionary economies. Makes sense. Always goes up. Divorces go up. Right. Oh man. I mean, a lot of the simple stuff that you think that adds stress to people's lives. I don't want to be predatory, but these things generally have a spike. Yeah. Yeah. Naturally. Yeah. Um, Will thirty-year owner-occupied conforming rates hit ten percent in the next twelve months? Very strong likelihood in my mind. Yes. Yes. I agree. Very strong.
2: And it's not. It's not that crazy, right? We talked about it. I think on the previous episode that. Patrick, Bett David did a whole rundown on this, that rates were above 10% for nearly a decade at one point in the eighties. Right. So, I mean, that, that has happened before and it's not that unlikely for it to happen again.
0: Wow. You decided that you listened to somebody else's podcast and then you mentioned Patrick, but David, tell me you don't like our podcast without telling me you don't like our podcast. What do you mean? Shouldn't you be listening to yourself? No, no, I don't do that. I don't want to mess up with the ratings. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, let's see here. Another one, uh, sectors to invest in during the recession. Okay, this comes up a lot. So let's just go over it um, from top sectors of my Sectors to invest in? Yeah, sectors to energy? invest in. Um, information technology, I think, is always good. Energy? Uh, energy, definitely a good one. Healthcare. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is actually one of the industries you noted earlier that had, uh, yeah. that had some booms. Um, I think depending on where you are in the recession, financials are good. Okay. So right now, I think bank stocks are cheap. I think uh, a lot of the finance sector is cheap, but as, as their interest margin increases, as they start to levelize from depository costs and borrowing costs, I think you wind up in a situation where you can get some really good money on that. If you think that mortgage lenders who are probably on their last foot right now are actually gonna survive and push through, that might actually be a cheap buy for you. Consumer staples, like we talked about, grocery store stuff, all the consumer like basic stuff, like think bread, think juice, think the right. simple stuff. Those do better in recessionary economies consumer discretionary spending uh now i would say generally does not go up it goes down but there are certain types of consumer discretionary they which go should up. go down yeah think really traditional like old school american activities right park some of the um like disneyland's too expensive now don't think stuff like that think yeah. like fairs think stuff like um i um, going to the movies mm. will creep up yeah. and I don't think movies per se are probably going to be it. I think what's going to wind up happening is you're going to see a little bit of return to the movie theaters, but you're going to see a lot more streaming services. I was going to say
2: streaming services. We mm. already know those are coming. I got, I got notified by Apple last night that your music service is going up by a dollar starting in December.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Apple. Yeah. Yeah. Just... yeah. And for a dollar more than that, you can get verified on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I best believe I'm gonna do that too, yeah. just to fuck with you.
0: <laughs> Look, you tri- I'm verified. Yeah, you asshole. tried
2: two years, asshole. I got it in one month. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're a terrible human being. What's the silver lining? Where's the opportunity going to likely be? Everybody wants to know the opportunity. Mm. Let me tell you all where the opportunity is unequivocally. And I know that everything at this point has been somewhat ambiguous and makes you think. I'll tell you what the opportunity is. The opportunity is you. Okay. Mm. Pick something that you like to do. Mm-hmm whether you think it's gonna you know, survive and be great in a recessionary economy or not. Mm-hmm. And if you're passionate about it, you will do it long enough to where you will push through the recessionary economy and you will be successful at it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay? If you're gonna be at home more because you have less money to spend, the consumer, because consumers are making less money because you're making less money because inflation has gone up, mm-hmm. and you're gonna be at home, and let's say you're single or you're, you're, you, know, you got a wife or whatever situation you are in life, mm-hmm. If you got more downtime because you're out doing less shit, yeah, do something productive with your time, okay. Even if that means learning something, learning a skill, right? Going to YouTube and making a YouTube channel, get out there and start. That's the sector that's going to do the best. The sector that you're willing to work in.
2: Yeah, like I heard somebody talk about it today. You know, one thing that you could do is just everyone's on YouTube these days. Go look at all the popular profiles, see what kind of thumbnails they're using and go off and learn to make those same type of thumbnails and go, you know, person to person, account to account, ask them, hey, I can increase your thumbnails and make them
0: look like this if you'd like. You know, and that's a service that you could provide. That's really sketch advice, but there's Why? a lot, of, there's a lot of Indian dudes that do that, like on, on the DMs and like Instagram. <laughs> that's that's that, a terrible. No, I'm just saying it's not terrible Nobody it do works, that. Yeah. Nobody do that. You're, Saeed's really it's, new to it's, social media. It's, it's a like great idea. I would pay for that. I don't very, know what to do. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay you something. You're to make very something new to else. social media. Okay? Yeah, I'm very new. Let, let, let's filter so, social media through me from now on. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's just get that back a little bit. It's still terrible a terrible advice. Somebody could have. Yeah, technical foul. somebody make it with that and come back at Chris. No. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more car talk i'm happy to give you more car talk brother um let's see both my cars who were supposed to be SEMA projects did not go to SEMA this year instead i saw a lot of SEMA projects uh in, of last week which was SEMA, which is the largest aftermarket uh parts mm-hmm. uh show for automotive in las vegas my builder for the bmw igor was there he makes um a honda kit basically taking a Honda S2000 engine and putting it into a BMW and E30. And uh, I was a little butt hurt. Mm. My, my butt hurt. Your butt hurt Puck, from what? Puckered from up what? A little bit I need, you, because I need you to explain because your butt hurt from part, what? part of me is like, my guy could have done, got our car finished and taken it there, but then I'm like, okay, our car takes a lot of R&D because it's a very unique project. Mm. It's a uh, 1970, is it 70, 71? 70, 2100 BMW, 2100 CS, and and you know, it's got a lot of custom fab, a lot of really unique parts on it and I get that those are the parts that he can sell that he has on the shelf right now which is why I took that car. I mean I get all that. Right. But you know, like it'd be nice to be able to drive one of the two cars that I got a half a million dollars into about at this point, you know. Right. It's it's kind of a bitch, but goddamn. Um they're beautiful cars and and I want to be able to finish them and and do something with them, but at the same time I'm not looking to spend that money right now to finish them. So I'll, I'm happy to wait. I'm very torn up about this emotionally.
2: Right. You've been working on them for a long time, man. Yeah, one of them eight years. The other one, uh, the other one we bought one the day our was born, Carter's to, one, three and a half the, years ago. To the point where if people like know you from the beginning when you first started talking, I was like, oh, man, I haven't seen the cars in like eight hey, years. This guy's lying.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. It's a, it's a <laughs> recurring problem. So I guess no more car talk then. Um, <laughs> let's go. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six questions left, and we're on an hour and 34 minutes. If you're still here, go ahead and take a little break. And during that break. Leave us an damn. honest five-star review. You're going to pimp a five-star review an hour and a half in? <laughs> hey. If Anybody here, who is here at this point is like, fuck these guys. Provide some value, damn it. <laughs> yeah. If you're here, come on. Hook a yeah. brother up. All right. Uh, Jeff, what's your sixty thirty ten? Or if you didn't uh, have one and you had $100,000, uh, where would you distribute it? Mm. If
2: I had $100,000, 100, yeah, $100, I'd be holding it, waiting. Because I want to still buy my first uh, investment
0: property. I'd be buying a lot of cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I'm for- come on
2: man hook this guy up with a real answer for a hundred
0: thousand dollars i would be waiting a little bit longer and then at some point in time i would try to buy three investment properties if possible in the midwest that gave me at least four to five hundred dollars a month in cash flow that's about call it man let's just say five hundred dollars He's fifteen hundred bucks a month that's uh pretty good cash on cash return it's yeah. obviously north of ten percent so that's something to think about. And I think 10% return uh, in this market might not sound so sexy when there's rumored CDs about three, 4.5%. About but over the long term, as you refinance down and improve that, it'll be actually better cash flow. So, And yep. you, you get the benefit of the equity too. Yep. Uh, investment ideas when there is blood in the streets. This is when the money is made. Yes, it is when the money is made. I think you hoard cash like we've talked about a number of times in the show. And then you do one of two things. Either you start a business that you're really passionate about, or you just buy a piece of real estate and move on. So I was watching a very, very odd video on MTV right now. I have no explanation for that. I don't one. know why you choose this channel. Next question. If China invades Taiwan, how do you see that affecting our economy? I see it affecting their economy very badly. Taiwan um, would be the second uh, appropriation of land uh, in addition to the Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. annexing a piece of, 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 of land which I didn't think would happen in my lifetime I think at that point in time you have some communist countries that are aligning themselves with what the shit is this <laughs> Jesus I can't this is this is not appropriate yeah. for television yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus And uh, yeah, it definitely
2: wouldn't be helpful
0: yeah it would yeah, it'd be aligning communist countries and I think keep in mind too that a lot of tech particularly chips come from Taiwan and therein lies some pretty significant controversy with china and some of our political visits that have happened in that country we do have a lot of the chip manufacturing that drives the business there being now brought domestically and there's a lot of it, obviously some litigation that's around that
2: increase of like thirty thousand jobs in manufacturing yeah
0: nancy pelosi knows all about that yeah <laughs> uh oh here's a good one what's your gym Max's bench squat deadlift damn bro so i haven't done max in a while but to give you some context i don't, I don't max i'm not
2: trying to mess around and get hurt bro you got a whole lot of ass you better answer yeah, i don't need question. to i don't need to bro i'm not trying to bend the bar
0: okay that's cute <laughs> All right, so let's see. Um I've been repping two seventy-five on the bench. I could probably get north of three twenty-five. Uh let's call it three fifty is probably my bench max. The 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 best I've ever done
2: on bench is two twenty five for three. I know, nothing to be proud of, but I mean no, just, for for me, for me for me for me that's good. I'm on steroids, bro. I, yeah. it's hard for me to argue <laughs> that. Um for me that's good. Um and I think I've gotten uh, I, I would hate to max squats for me is there, there's no, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody. I'm not entering any competitions, but I've done 225 for five um, and I'll keep it right there. I'm not messing around for anything more than that. Deadlift. Deadlift. I haven't, I haven't maxed out.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh, squat. Uh, let's see. I haven't actually maxed on testosterone, but before that I was probably just under 400. For for a for a one rep max, um, and I'm God damn. I'm probably lower than that now just because I, I haven't really been, my lower back. I've been trying to work around it. Uh, deadlift is easy, my strongest lift. I could probably north of five hundred.
2: I, I think it's most people's strongest lift. Yeah, north of five hundred easy for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking I, I'll, I'll if, rep
0: in the, in the high threes.
2: If, if yeah, if I were to guess, I'd say somewhere slightly above three hundred for me. But I've never all tried. that ass. I haven't tried. In well, I'm just too afraid of getting hurt, man. Really? And also, you lift with straps on, man. I, I,
0: my grip. No, that's raw, man. Nah, I saw the no straps, straps, bro. Yeah, no, no, straps. Straps and, uh, no. no straps. <laughs> no straps. no, straps. No straps on. <laughs> All right, Strap you, on. you incite. <laughs> Uh, you incite arm wrestle who would i put money on me stop it Easy. bro me stop. stop don't do this bro i got leverage why you, why you yeah
2: no i got leverage you I got, said you I can't live booty. shit no, no 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 my grip shrink though it's good It's there. nothing yeah, to, you do used, to yeah. top of the table bro <laughs> yeah. your ass and blow <laughs> no, the table okay no, go on, go on. stop
0: i'm gonna lean that way put a strap on you yeah. uh do you recommend <laughs> hard money loans for a flip opportunity why or why not okay we're gonna end the show on this question no man uh nice you were real quick with a no. Hard money loans, that's scary, man. A lot of people in the flip space use hard money loans. I know they do. And here's what I would tell you. If you can, at all costs, avoid an index plus margin-based loan right now. Mm-hmm. Given how quickly the economy is moving and how volatile some of these interest rates are, I don't know that you can flip a property without having some consistency in your costs. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, whenever you put together a budget to do this stuff, a lot of people who are flippers are not putting together what I would call an ideal budget and planning accordingly. They're trying to get the cheapest cost they can. They're trying to cut corners where they can because they got to maintain profitability. right? You are also working against the home values right now. So you have to get an
2: incredible deal. And the affordability crisis.
0: Yeah. So I know a lot of flippers who do use hard money. That is a very common practice. I generally do not like hard money lenders. And for those of you who are uninitiated, hard money lenders are basically taking on Additional risk that a traditional bank or a traditional lender will not take on. So, if they think that if you're flipping the property or you're not credit worthy, uh, or they don't want to give you uh, a loan on a property that's got like un- incomplete construction, or or let's just say there's some issues with the property, which is typically why a flipper will get a property under value,
1: mm-hmm.
0: a bank might not be able to finance you or want to finance you because of the, the current condition of the, of the deal. Mm-hmm. So, you go to something that like called a hard money lender, who's going to give you a loan at a higher interest rate. Right, and in the worst case event scenario of default, they're going to take the property back from you. But they see there's equity in the property; there's some economic benefit to them. Yeah. But you're paying a significantly higher rate for additional risk. Right, and how often have you seen
2: hard money lenders actually take back the property?
0: Well, in this particular market, you're seeing it more and more, more now than ever. In the last 14 years, I'm seeing incomplete projects listed online for sale because the person who was working on it for whatever reason didn't think it was economically viable hence, to cross the finish line.
2: Hence, why the
0: immediate no. The immediate no, look, look, it's easy to say no, but the reality is a lot of people out there who do it with varying degrees of success. Mm-hmm. If you need to do it because it gets your foot in the door and you can make sense of the risk because you have an ascertainable cost, I'm not the guy who's going to tell you no. I don't think you can just get- know,
2: Just know what you're getting into.
0: Know what you're getting into, but be damn sure of your cost situation. Yeah. This is not a market where mistakes can be easy, easily absorbed. If you listen to our live with Adam, when we were talking to him, he made a couple of mistakes when he was purchasing real estate, but he was in an industry economy where he could not only improve his financial position by selling the property, but he could undo those mistakes by getting an economic gain. Mm. We are not in that economy anymore. Right. Damn, we ended the show on a negative note. Okay, last let's, one. Let's do, let's do positive.
2: Someone asked me the question, what is the time value of money for you? You asked yourself you this I, question. No, no, I didn't. This is, this, is, this is Marcel. That
0: She she related to you, bro. Yeah, but she asked. I want to give her the dignity of she was nice enough to leave a question. The time value of money for me has changed dramatically in that having children, a son, has really changed my perspective of the time value of money. There there are certain things that normally I would have done myself. Washing the car for me is therapeutic. I love washing the car. Mm -hmm. Um, There are certain things that I would love to do that I just pay somebody else to do now because I'd rather spend that time and invest it into him. Right. At the same time, I really struggled with understanding my personal value of time like for things like the gym. So, for years, I, I stepped away from it. I'm still not as in good a shape as I was before I stepped away. Mm-hmm. But I, I've, I've now found myself in a happy medium where I understand that there's, there's a value in both my time for my, myself personally and for my son that you can't put money on. Right. And I'll go a step
2: further, too, and also include my wife in there.
0: Oh, and my yeah, da- and
2: my daughter. I love you,
0: honey. Yeah. She never listens to the full show anymore. Yeah, she anymore. she yeah. never going to hear this. <laughs> yeah, yes, she does. Yeah, she Here, does. we'll test it, right, honey? If you hear this, send me a text that says "Saeed has bitch tits," and we'll know you listened to it. <laughs> okay, but I know that'll never come through. And if it does, I will post that on our higher standard podcast website. <laughs> yeah, Saeed has bitch tits. There you go. We ended on a positive on a positive note. note Saeed yeah. has bitch tits. Everybody. No, no, he <laughs> does like Chris has hair on his toes. <laughs> I do, but at least you know mine's not on my titties. All right. <laughs> Well, that's it for this episode. Hopefully, you guys all have a kick-ass Friday. And if you listen to this after Friday, shame on you for being a bad fan. Listen to it on Fridays. Yeah, it really helps the algorithm. We We need the algorithm. Yeah, come on now. Bye now. Good night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you were listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.